Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, as always, Jack Greenstock, joined by an amazing panel. First, I'm going to pass it over to Spartan Grown. What's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Or you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com for all your gardening questions, organic or synthetic. Welcome back. And just a reminder to everybody to click on over to the live chat so you can see all the messages if you want to. I want to pass it next to Kyle Breeder. Hey, what's up, everybody? Kyle Breeder. Uh, I specialize in feminized breeding and I have a seed company if that's something you're interested in. Um, I do have a website, which is the letter P followed by breeding.com. Uh, I do have a collaboration coming up uh, with Dan from Gnome Automatics for some new a new autoflower launch, which is really interesting. And it's uh, some terpenes that in his words, uh, he's never smelled on an autoflower plant. Uh, so that's gonna be really cool. And uh, feel free to reach out to me on all social media platforms, pure underscore breeding on Instagram and pure breeding on anything else. Glad to have you back. And I'm looking forward to that. I know he's smelled a lot of different autoflower genetics as he's been working with them for literally a decade uh, plus now at this point. So cheers to him. It was great having him on a few weeks ago and cool to hear that you guys are collaborating and uh, putting genetics out there for the community. But next up, I'll pass it over to Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist and I've been working with cannabis for about 11 years now. And if you want to learn more about uh, plant health and uh, that sort of a thing, you can check me out at my Zentanol YouTube channel uh, where I'm going to be uploading a pretty popular video, which you might actually get into talking about a little bit uh, from Instagram about um, the sort of somoclonal research and, and how cuttings can uh, change and mutate over time. And uh, where you take cuttings on plants may have uh, a significant impact on that. So if you're interested in stuff like that, you can check me out there. Also on my Instagram at SyncAngel. That was a great post. I commented on that and I think it was about an hour long and you said that there's going to be a follow-up on a future cannabis project too, but I think we might talk about, about that tonight because I think it's interesting conversation as well. But uh, next up, we've got Noah the Grower, the Grower. How's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grower with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there and uh, most weeks here on Growing with My Fellow Growers with all you guys. Um, in the last uh, half hour of the show, I'll go live in my room, show you guys what I got going on. Everything that uh, I showed last time two weeks ago is uh, I'm getting ready to pull some down tomorrow. So looking pretty nice. Excited about that. And happy to be here. Happy to have you back, Noah. I always love the garden updates and it's cool when there's a few week difference and you can really see the changes. I know that sometimes you can notice even from one day to the next, but for the viewers, especially uh, two weeks is a big time. Uh, especially at the late point in flower. So excited to see that and excited to introduce the American one. Uh, not last this week because we have a special guest next. Hello, Jack and everybody. Um, I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. Um, and yeah, I'm glad to be here and I'm happy we have a guest. It's awesome. I guess uh, she's a former panelist, early member of the show, uh, Miss Nudie Gross. Welcome back. Hello, Jack and friends. I'm very glad to be here. Impulsive uh, last minute guest here, Miss Nudie Gross. You can find me on Instagram at Miss Nudie Gross, on YouTube at Genevieve Eats Weed. I am a medical home grower here in Canada and uh, also the head grower and director of cultivation of Stewart Farms, which is an aquaponics living soil farm in New Brunswick. 
I just moved out here three months ago. So it's been, been awesome, wild. awesome following your journey over there uh, in the Great White North. As our former host used to say, Miss Nibby uh, from the North Pole, his favorite yeah, grower from the North Pole. His favorite grower from the North Pole. So let's yep, include yep. that. <laughs> That's a good way to introduce you as always. And uh, I, I don't want to call you a guest because I do think that you're a permanent panel member of the show oh. and always welcome back whenever you can make it. I know that you're Thanks. very busy now with the position at your farm. Uh, we'll definitely want to hear more about that, obviously. But sure. um, excited to have you back now that we've got your opportunity to have you here. It's super Thank cool to... I also want to shout out the fact that you've won a few competitions since the last time you've been on the show. I think, uh, I don't know if you've been on since you've entered a few of the grow offs, but maybe you can share a little so. bit about those results as well. Um, yeah, totally. The first competition I entered was two years ago and I got actually second place in that with my jelly bean. Um, and that was a Canadian four plants home grower competition, um, judged by the home growers. All of us judged each other's. Um, and then, two year the last two years I've won a few different things at Hempfest Cup which is one of the bigger Canadian Cannabis Cups one of the first ones um, which is judged on a, a full um, numer a, a numerology platform of like things I don't even understand by sommeliers uh, here in Canada and also um, I took the, <laughs> the top three of four uh medals this year for Hempfest. I won't even talk about last year. My actually I will a little bit. So um I won first place in CBD last year for my Candida and I got uh second place for top female grower. And so my goal coming in from last year to this year was I wanted to get number one in top female and um I wanted to keep my title for top CBD. So this year I entered my Charlotte's web and I kept my title um, for highest CBD. I won highest THC with my Gorilla Girl. And then I won first and second place for top female grower with both strains. So nice job. Talk about sweeping the competition representing <laughs> yeah. Miss Nudie Grows up there. We just had to, I hate to make you, I know you're not one to like blow your own smoke or whatever like that, but we got to let the people know who, if they don't remember you, Miss Nudie doesn't mess around. She's a legit grower and uh, has earned her Thank way you. where she is in the you know community up there. And it's awesome to see because I know um, when we first started, you were home growing and had no commercial experience from what I recall. And yep. to see you come a very long way has been amazing for me. And I, I know many others that are cheering you we along. Go, I go way back. This group was my first original. I still reach out to you guys all the time. Recently is probably last week for Jack, you know, like just these guys are my mentors and I respect and have full gratitude for every single one of you guys. And I, I just love hanging out. I love talking about weed. And I, I did, I came from growing illegally in a, in a two foot closet to, you know, working in a 500 square foot facility, a 50,000 square foot facility, a 10,000 square foot facility, just like jumping into cannabis, hot, 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 <laughs> getting all the experience. Now I'm doing aquaponics. I'm feeding fish and feeding plants and doing living soil. You guys remember me as the hydro hustler. Well, uh, now I'm running up your tails here with my organics experience. <laughs> <laughs> Even more hydrological, right? You, you've gone even more into the water. Just yeah. hydroorganics. <laughs> hydroorganics, exactly. That is what I think aquaculture is, really. 
Wasn't uh, your group involved, Stuart Farms, on the aquaponics, um, potent ponics uh, seminar? That was Absolutely. Yes, uh, we were there. My boss, the CEO of Stuart Farms, Tanner Stewart, he was um, speaking on behalf of our farm and the experimenting that we've been doing and the research and development that we've been doing with um, our our tilapia and um, and different strains that we've been trying different sort of diets and different nutritional things. We have biologists like I'm working with scientists. It's it's really unreal. And yeah, we were we were part we were the noobs, I guess I would say on the panel um, compared to a lot of the like big players in aquaponics that I absolutely respect, love and adore. Um, it was it was an awesome time. Just I spent a little bit of time in the chat. It was it was good. They're amazing. Uh, you know, Steve and the Potent Ponics crew and everybody that he brings on are just really high level, uh, amazing stuff. I know tilapia is uh, good, at least in my experience from trying. I think it's from Fishhead Farms. It's a product called Fish Shit. And mm-hmm. everybody I know who uses that stuff enjoys it. They seem to get great results from it. I'm not, again, sponsored by them or anything, but it, it smells mm-hmm. fucking horrible. So when you yeah, open it I'm- up. It's it's nasty. So like <laughs> either keep it away from your nose or wear a mask or something, but it works. The plants really seem to like it. And uh, I've, I've only seen great results so far from it. I am. Um, I, I think I have a couple of videos on Instagram with some of the fish stuff. But yeah, you get you get covered in the real fish, shit, like fresh shit. So maybe it's better than the bottled stuff. <laughs> but yeah, when you're agitating the water, you got to get all that good stuff off the sides and it's getting up and on me. And it just is what it is. I'm getting fed. The plants are getting fed. Everyone's getting fed. Fish are getting fed. <laughs> it's like cannabis, dirty jobs version. You know, uh, yeah. there's going to be Spartan, you know, mopping up, you know, some flooded <laughs> over at Mittencanico and then newbie getting <laughs> splashed by fish shit at her spot. Yeah. Or sometimes they're just so aggressive to see you in the morning and ours are way older than they should be. Like the first rule of aquaponics is do not get attached to the fish. Do not become friends with the fish. Do not name the fish. I love every single one of them. I walk in there on the weekends and it's like, good morning, my sweeties. And they splash their tails up at you. Like it's, it's a pretty cool, (laughs) it's a pretty cool job. And our actual fish guy that's there, Joe, every single day, they know him when he walks in the room, like they know him. He's there to feed them their treats and give them their love. It's pretty cool. Do you ever get to eat the tilapia yourself? And do you feel like there's a difference between that um, and other tilapia that you had. And, and if so, what is that? And, and use adjectives because I feel if you can, I mean. <laughs> we haven't got to eat them yet, but we are going to have a summer barbecue this year. And I will let you know with all the adjectives, how delicious they are. Yeah, I appreciate that. They're, they're a bit old though. So they might not be as delicious as I'm hoping. I oh, think maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think sometimes the, the older the fish, it might be better. Like it maybe develop more muscle or I don't know something. Maybe I'm just bullshitting, but I think the bigger, heavier fish often seem to be like. And it depends on what, yeah, what they've been eating too. You know, tilapia are such a fascinating fish. They're so versatile. They use them for like lots of different reasons. And a lot of tilapia are farmed for food, but tilapia can also be used for like, sewage treatment um they can be used for a lot of of different things aquaponics and stuff like that um you don't want to eat the ones that are used for sewage treatment but it depends on anything what you've been feeding them and i think miss nudie's probably been feeding them pretty good stuff better than sewage i'll bet yeah probably better than sewage but 
that's always what I think about. Once I learned that tilapia were used for, for in sewage treatment facilities, it's like, it's hard to kind of get past that and enjoy tilapia, I guess, but it's very versatile fish. <laughs> Good to know. Our fish we've gotten since they were. Yeah, little. yeah, no, obviously. I've only not, had a wild caught. In their diet, but yeah, they get a lot, they're really fat. I think they get a lot of extra treats. And when we do tours, everyone wants to feed the fish. And so they get a little bit extra and Next year, after we eat them all, we're going to replace them with salmon. <laughs> salmon. I think of, um, I just usually think of how they're, they're carp. So like, I mean, there are, there are certain heuristic opinions about carp and goldfish are carp and they can be kind of quote unquote dirty fish or rather fish that can live in, in extreme conditions, you know? Yeah. So and they'll eat. Anything I grew up with a little, um, fit, or with a 55 gallon tank growing up and I had a Picosimus and, uh, um you know all kinds of other fish like that so Genevieve what's the what's the max weight of some of those fish and uh what's their what's the lifespan you're getting out of them Ooh, like okay so we've had these ones for about three years so that's quite old for fish which I've learned and um I don't know the weight on them but I'm going to tell you a little story so the power went out one day <laughs> and like we the generators weren't like all working in sync like things happen at the farm you know like you just the days are crazy sometimes. So the power went out and right away, the fish guy, Joe was like, shit, like, and we're running to the fish room. I didn't ask why or anything, but we're running to the fish room. And like, we have our huge tanks. I think they're 200 gallon tanks, um, huge round tanks, maybe 400 gallon tanks. I'm not sure. Anyways, they're covered in nets. So the fish can't pop out. Right. These fish went, first of all, we got in there and the power had only gone out for five minutes. Two fish were on the floor. So, I had to raw dog a fish that's like this big with my bare hands and get it back into the tank through the net. Like I saved it's like this fish thinks I'm its mom for sure. Um, but yeah, like Joe just knows what to do, get these fish. And then we had to hold down the nets because they were slamming out of the tank because of the loss of oxygen. These things are strong. Like I didn't realize the strength on them. So because I lifted one up with my bare hands, I can guess that it probably weighs about three pounds. Wow. Yeah, three years, three years old is, uh, I mean, I know like, depending on where you are and what you're, you're dealing with, but like we have uh, like lake trout up here and uh, they can live almost, uh, they can live into their 80s and 90s in lakes. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's like yeah. a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend I'm a, a aquaponics master or I'm not a master of anything, but aquaponics, I'm such a noob. So I'm just learning about the fish, about the whole, everything. Farm fish, I think is what they're saying that they don't live three years yeah. typically. So like That's a farm, a fish farm typically is farming it for the meat of the fish to sell it at a fish market to be eaten by humans or right. animals yeah. or whatever, which is a uh, perfectly legal and normal practice that happens all over the world or whatever. Uh, some people like to get moral and whatever uh, ethical about it which there's that process like nudie has an attachment to these fish now so it's definitely going to seem Just hard to see him go and, and that one you definitely saved its life so i don't know if you're like its mother or its savior but it definitely appreciates you for uh, getting there in time even though it was going back into like non-oxygenated water it probably was able to survive so that was yeah. the right thing to do you know what's pretty interesting too is uh, i watched this whole documentary on uh, goldfish and Goldfish in a tank that only lasts a few years, maybe perhaps like a tilapia or like in farms where they're really mm -hmm. congested, but like yeah. out in the wild, I think it apparently lived to for like 30, 40 years. Like if you put I it in a lake, which is, so it just goes like to the orcas. Like, really, 
yeah, it's really the environment that they're living in that dictates a lot of their, uh, you know, their growth and age, which is, I found interesting. Yeah, there's quite a few, there's 200 in each tank. So, and like I said, I, I wish I knew how big the actual tanks are. I'll, I'll know that for next time, but they're huge tanks, big fishing. How many, how, how, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know this information, but how many pounds of, of fish shit are you getting uh, weekly or, or monthly or how does that work? I guess. No, I don't know that answer no. either, but every day I go to, into the fish poop tank and it's full. <laughs> So how about how does it how does it affect differently from what you're doing like with the aquaponics? How does it affect differently what you're feeding? Do you have to like how do you know what their input is? Um, so we we get the we get the testing done so we can oh, okay. see kind of like the soil analysis, but like for water, and so that we can see exactly what nutrients they're getting. And it isn't a lot of nutrients they're getting. What they're getting, and what I noticed in this last run, is. Um, we did some testing with like hotter soil and toxicity and um, we had uh, kind of a, a low stress resistant strain. And so we did three different um, batches. So one batch was full fish water, one batch was fed 50% fish water and one batch was just our regular water that we use, our filtered water. And um, the two, well, even the 50% was better than the, just the water, but um, we had a lot of ammonia issues um, because of the nitrogen not being broken down properly from the soil. And so there was quite a bit of burning, but the ones that had the fish poop, um, there's nitro, I don't, again, the scientists explained this to me, but there's like nitrifying um, bacteria or something that helps break down the nitrogen so that the plants can absorb it better. And that was the exact reason why these plants um, thrived when the other ones were suffering so badly. So it's the microbials that I think right. um, yes, helps. Yes, the, the aquatic. More. You're yeah. adding like the aquatic. In the yeah. Yeah, it's like so you get, you, you get a whole new world with the aquatics. You get a, get a whole new microbial world that you can support and add to your soil that you normally can't get. I mean, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, and I'm just at the very beginning of learning about how it's all working like together, even with living soil, right? You guys know that. I've just literally been learning about it for two years, crash course, but like, so we're having this like really rich, good living soil and then adding the fish nutrient waste and seeing how it, how it affects. And so far, um, I don't have any of the COAs back on this test because it just all came down, um, but I'll have that information soon. And just based on observation and yield, it's already showing that that's what happened. It's cool. It's interesting to see the amount of diversity that can be successful because we have seen something like, and it's something as, as small as a consortium of like five different uh, microbes that, can go awry if it's just like the conditions are not kept right you know if, if, thing, if things get a little bit out of balance uh it can turn really negative but like the american one has mentioned in the past and many people have also said it's like you want to get a bunch of good guys in there to basically like make it hard for the bad guys to get a foothold and it seems like for whatever reason the fish biology seems to work well with the soil biology um maybe they have some protectant in their gut that's like they've evolved to uh you know, maybe protect themselves from certain parasites that maybe are beneficial with the soil or whatever it is, but even just the nutrient content. And even if it's minimal, um, it's nice to add a little kick to the soil, but from what you're saying with the testing, it, it does seem like it is mostly the microbials, which is the thing that I think we actually least understand as far as what I've been able to look at with the sciences. Like we understand the NPK stuff pretty well, 
Um, but uh, microbials is sort of bleeding edge still to this day. And like people like Brandon and others with uh, microbe companies are coming out with certain consortiums. And I think his is just the, he has multiple products, but like the um, effective microorganism that he calls microbe plus um, is super beneficial. And I've seen it firsthand, but there's also data that shows it. So it's interesting to see. And I can't wait to see more data, especially coming out of Canada. Like you guys are going to have COAs. Eventually there's going to be uh, other labs and things, hopefully studying this because they'll see it successful and want to understand what's making it tick and work well. And uh, maybe Potent Ponics will jump on sometime tonight. I see him in the chat often. I don't know if he's been here tonight or not, but uh, I think this would be a good episode for him to jump in on. I have a question for you real quick. Um, Miss Nudy, I'm just interested. Do you have to avoid, like, are there any IPM like sprays or things that normally you could use, but now that you're in an aquaponics setting, you can't use? Is there anything weird that way? Mm, I don't fully know that. I know that um, just as far as our SOPs go, we don't do any foliar sprays. And just with okay. like health rules there are some sprays that you can use like um but nothing on plants really so it's just all beneficials for ipm strictly beneficial. the plants and the fish aren't in the same room or or are they no no they're no. not so I would do, the doing like dual, dual room stuff so, um, so not the water circulates though from to the plants and to the fish or not even what's that no Is it like, it's a, like they're watering with it Sounds like they're yeah, just watering with it, right? Yeah, so bring it in, and then so the part that's missing in the aquaponics is that we're the fish aren't getting fed back, so right. we're we're feeding the plants, but we're not all the way through. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so the whatever sprays you use when it hit the fish anyway is what I'm getting no. at, or affect them, right? <laughs> or like if you wanted to use yucca, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Oh, if you wanted yeah. to use yucca, you could add yucca after you pull the fish shit out mix it up with your water that you're going to give to the plants, which yeah, is separate because it's not going to drain through into the fish tank. Yeah. It's simply an input. Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, I think that offers conveniences that sometimes aquaponics wouldn't be able to get away with when they're set up, when they're connected. Like I advise as an example. insects alone for pest control of, anyway, personally. There's a lot of regulatory advantages of having it separate too. Green yeah. 13 uh Tao was talking he used to do that as well and he's gone back to spraying i think once you get an outbreak that the um predators alone can't take care of you'll start looking to a natural spray that you can knock down the population with and then that, reapply that is something i worry about here for when like i hear because i you know i'm involved with a lot of people doing things in the states so you hear about the horror stories and the scary stuff and the russet mites and the the other well, it's a scary season but i'm not hearing about those too much out here so but they're coming i'm sure yeah if you scout well and do preventative releases i think because yeah as i said a long time ago i don't know if this is still the case but gw pharmaceuticals like one of the most well-funded uh, operations in the cannabis kind of industry well i don't know actually but they're very well funded they, they could do whatever they want and they use only beneficial predators in their greenhouses according to this was in like probably 2010 11 12 i saw um you know so that that might have changed but yeah i really am a fan and i love them i hate spraying my plants sometimes the plants don't want to be sprayed you know and that's what really got me to the point you know like if you spray every three days sometimes 
well, I don't know, but to each their own. And I advise if you have the capability, the money, and wherewithal, just use beneficial bugs there. My only, my only caveat on that is, is I really love a sulfur brick when I'm bringing in genetics. So oh, yeah. I, I absolutely want to spray or spray something on my plants when I'm bringing in anything from outside. Because I want to treat it as if it is infested with something. So I don't want to say absolutely no spraying. There are instances where, and then I also, me, myself personally, I like sulfur in early veg on all my plants because not only does sulfur kind of help on a broad range of pests, but it also helps on a broad range of fungus. So I like to have that little preventative there, that little prophylactic at the beginning, you know. To yeah, get, I'd be remiss to not, not mention that uh, Matthew Gates would totally probably be against my, uh, my ideology. He, you often, uh, you know, say a multi, uh, multi-angle approach. Yeah, with, with uh, you know, all different modes of uh, action. So, but sure, yeah. that's, but that's the ideal. Right. That doesn't mean that you could be in an austere condition that disallows that or uh, an economic situation or resource limited situation where it's not possible. And um, yeah, and I, another thing I like to say a lot is that it's very context dependent. Those are some really important contexts. But yeah, I mean, if you can have like a, a multi, you know, faceted approach where you can hit them on all these different layers. Um, then that definitely you should go for that. But um, it's not wrong or anything to not use biocontrols, for example, even. I have a question. Um, for the, the reason this burden even mentioned, like the wettable sulfur is a really strong card that a lot of people can play easily um, for a lot of reasons. It works out logistically, economically. Um, and of course, it's very efficacious. But the downside to that would be like, you might affect something you don't want to, or um you know you might hurt like a biocontrol for example but sometimes that's not an important consideration or as important i totally agree with that i wanted to ask about with biocontrols like i know season to season for a lot of growers like summertime is different than the winter um i don't know if the labs that they are rearing these biocontrols in are perfectly you know climate regulated but i'd wonder like uh, I mentioned Green 13, a fellow grower, he's over in the UK, but he mentioned that, you know, he used to be all biocontrol and for a long time it worked. Now he's gone back to the sprays, but I almost wonder if he was sourcing biocontrols from somewhere and maybe in the summertime, they're great, but in the fall and winter, they're not as, you know, uh, aggressive or uh, they're not, you know, reproducing as much, or maybe they just don't travel as well um, or something like that, where they could just not be as effective during certain times of the year. I tended to notice just everything uh, that I, I work with that's alive tends to be a little bit different seasonally. Actually, that used to be a big problem with some of these biocontrols like uh, Persimilis um, and uh, Cucumers even. I think Californicus, uh, in the beginning, they used they didn't necessarily, know, I think they had, diap had forms of a diapause. So they'd go into like this sort of like hibernation-esque um, behavior. And uh, of course, you don't want that. Uh, you want your you want your bike control to be efficacious, no matter what seasonal situation it is. Um, and even better if like the prey also has diapause, but the predator doesn't, right? So, I think a lot of places this is not actually the case. And so uh, they've they've uh, uh, cultured them to to actually not have the diapausing or have it be very reduced. Um, but I actually also, yeah, I'm not. Um, 
I'm not a biocontrol supremacist. Uh, there are definitely other ways that you can go about um, cultivating in a way that's sustainable, ecologically friendly, and that sort of a thing. Uh, and, you know, there could be a lot of reasons. Like you say, uh, it could be the product. Maybe there's something wrong with it or the money didn't make sense or because uh, a lot of times biocontrols are very expensive. And that's a big limiter that um, is uncomfortable to talk about if you uh, produce biocontrols. Right. But uh, certainly I hear it a lot as a consultant. Working with cannabis, they're lucky, though, because good cannabis is also still, for the most part, very expensive, many um, would say. And most markets, even the legal ones, even the, in the illicit markets, the best stuff, which I believe if you're able to grow it uh, a certain way and can market well, uh, can fetch a top dollar. So many times it can justify it. But the, like you're talking about, the costs sometimes are so different because like one that we were just talking about, uh, let's say we're talking about a pest issue in veg and I have the choice of sulfur, which is like under 10 bucks, which I could apply to the whole room se several times, hundreds of times for under $10 or a biocontrol which might cost me a hundred bucks to cover the room once. And it might not take it out the first time. I might have to reapply or apply heavier than is needed just to be safe. Um, so that's just like a simple 10 times, uh, you know, cost. And there are occasions where it's that much or more because when you talk about shipping, oh, it needs to be overnight shipped. Uh, it might only be available from here or there or whatever. And this isn't to like dissuade people from using biocontrols. I think they're also a great option if, uh, if you can afford them and get them to work for you. Um, I've loved my experiences with them. I've actually only had positive ones, but I have heard from the community people have not the greatest experiences. So I do like to caution people of some of the potential drawbacks that there might be. But with that said, I... Of course, because sprays, I don't mean to interrupt, but because uh, we are talking about sprays, uh, I think it goes without saying to say that... Uh, I'm not, I'm not advocating for like micro, microbutanil or like, um, you know, imidacloprid or, um, you know, any of these uh, azole fungicides that are systemic. Um, you know, I'm talking about things that are actually acceptable to use, like botanical derived compounds and, um, you know, a, a softer chemistries and uh, biorational things too, like they'll stimulate the immune system. It's interesting. I think we're I'm all sorry. in a, oh, sorry, go ahead, Spartan. I just wanted to jump in. I just wanted to add to that, you know, I use beneficials as well. So I'm not saying that that's not something that I do, but I like to use sulfur at the beginning of their life. And then when they go in the flower, that's when I add my beneficials. Uh, but one thing to help with beneficials, like what you're saying, the problem with, you know, a lot of these are live and that means you need quick shipping, like next day air. And it gets expensive. What, what I've done, and if I've gotten to a group of my friends that are other growers that I know, and we have an insectary pretty local to us. So we just order and we go in and put our order in all at the same time, you know, all as one order, we just go together. So there's only one shipping fee instead of, you know, now, now you're splitting that shipping fee up along four people instead of one person. And it becomes way more affordable. And then it comes, it becomes actually an option for a lot more people. Even if you have one buddy, just splitting that cost in half is really helpful. Yeah, I, I really like that uh, perspective and uh, having like an overflow as well. Um, I knew people who also do something like what you're talking about, Spartan, or even like interdepartmentally, uh, you know, they'd always be buying like a bulk release of a certain predatory mite 
And if, and you know, if it didn't work out, if they didn't need to apply it because the pest wasn't there, they might apply it minimally and then give it to another, another department who's growing a different kind of plant or like you're saying, which I think is even better uh, to other people. Or I also have encountered people uh, who, and I think, don't you do this also Spartan? Uh, you uh, buy them for the people who grow. Or was yeah, that somebody well, else? There's a lot of actually there I've been hearing more and more uh facilities who, you know, commercial facilities will buy extra and send home extra on purpose with their growers. So exactly. That, because they know they have home grows and they want to make but that's sure. That's not you, grows. right? No, we well, we everybody my buddies that grow that I just described earlier, those are the guys. Oh, <laughs> they, well, all okay. they all well, work that's, there. That so. is that. <laughs> Yeah, we kind of do that on our own, but yeah. Yes. No, I think that's brilliant and um, forward thinking and prudent and uh, a great example of like just caring for your own growers. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's like a, it's good soft power. Let's put it that way. The community aspect of cannabis that I think we all love. It's um, people splitting a seed pack cost or, you know, splitting the cost of their predator mites. However, you can build, you know, friends in this community, share the, you know, costs so that you all get a better deal. Oftentimes you don't need the massive amount that might only be available. And so if there's four people or three people, or even just two, uh, it can be a lot more logical for you and connect with the people in the chat. <laughs> if you're comfortable saying it, people in the chat, say where you're from and try and link up. If you don't already know, like the Michigan Bros Grow Show is a great example of a local community where, you know, all for the most part, all those people are from Michigan and they are pretty, you know, open about where roughly they're at and you can link up with these people. And I think that more people need to do that. And uh, if we can facilitate that with our chat, that's a, a great thing to do because a lot of people feel like they're on an Island or alone. And oftentimes there's somebody growing literally on your street or down the road or wherever it is, depending on where you're at. So you might be around more green friendly people than you even know. And it's honestly so nice to connect with them because uh, a lot of society likes to chastise cannabis users and growers and things like that. So to find uh, people that have common interests is uh, a great thing. And there's many of them listening and uh, chilling here with us tonight. And I'm very thankful for all of them coming off of, I think Thanksgiving was just uh, this past week. So happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody. I'm thankful for Miss New D Grows being back here again. This is a great Sunday as always. Uh, looking forward to seeing Noah's uh, grow later this evening. It's going to be a good one. Good show I came on then for. Get to see another grower grow. It's awesome to see other people grow, man. I have a lot of fun and uh, had a lot of fun listening to all you guys today. I do know, uh, I think Kyle has to leave at the one hour mark. I'm not sure if anybody else has to jump out at that time, but uh, I want to give maybe Kyle a chance to jump in and just uh, share some thoughts if you have any. Uh, I'm kind of kind of depressed that I can't see uh, the grow room, <laughs> but uh, maybe I, well, I can always go back in the YouTube and check it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, nothing crazy, man. I had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, you know, I did some deep fried turkeys. That was kind of cool. I haven't done that before. So I, so I own a deep fryer now, which is, uh, that was interesting. If anyone's ever done it, it's a fantastic way of going about it versus oven bake. But uh, on the cannabis side of things, yeah, I mean, I have something new going on with Dan. Uh, so I got, and I can't really recall where I got it from, which is kind of screwing me and him. But uh, it was an autoflower variety that I called Syndica. It's uh, basically had pure sativa traits with that was like stuck in an indica body. So I just came up with the word Syndica. And it was like literally like this, uh, just, just like this creamy, sweet, 
like blueberry, like cotton candy, uh, just but like way more on like the sugary side, which is really interesting. And, uh, you know, I was kind of dealing, playing with it for a while and uh, I stress tested it, never had any issues. And, uh, you know, so I, I think I found a beautiful, you know, not a flower breeding is a whole different scenario, but, uh, you know, so I found something, I sprayed one branch of each and I found one that I thought was beautiful. I took that pollen and wiped it under another one. I went through a couple of generations with it and I basically had uh, a whole bunch of sisters that, that were all pregnant. And I remember labeling like the bags, like, you know, huge yields, but uh, no THC or a lot of THC, but kind of airy. And I had all these bags. I ended up finding, so when I has Dan, if you want to do a collaboration, uh, I forget which, I think I, it was like, you know, no perp, high THC, good yield I put on the bag. This is like three years ago or two years ago. And uh, I, know, I sent him the seeds and he is in love with them. He's more excited. That's a, he's said he's more excited about that project than anyone, any other one that he has going on right now with some of the other guys he's working with. And uh, it's terps that he's never smelled before. It's just like just this real sugary. Uh, I'm sure he would explain a lot better. But uh, yeah, so I'm just pretty excited about that. And we're going to be launching that in probably in the next few weeks or so. So anybody who grows autoflowers, I would definitely. Uh, so, yeah, so we had to discuss if we're going to like split the seeds and like he do his thing. I do my my thing. But I think uh, what we agreed on was uh, just him having full control of all the seeds. And then just, you know, we'll we'll figure out the financial side of things, uh, which kind of I think is a better scenario because I, I would I, I have a lot of respect for him. So standing by him and his brand while they're going everywhere uh, means a lot to me. So it's uh and it helps just with my autoflower side of things. So that's kind of where, where that is. That, that is like- one really cool dude, man. Um, I, yeah. I consider everybody here on the panel to be my friend. And, um, but I would say he's definitely out of all the guys I've met here. He's me and him are really close. He's always uh, every, t- I mean, I've talked shop with him lots of times. I ask him a lot of questions. That's a very, very smart dude and a really good guy too. So yeah, Dan is an awesome guy, man, for sure. Yeah, he sent me some uh, Australian bastard cannabis seeds that I'm gonna be doing what I call the velvet bastard because at F2 there's a really zigzaggy pheno of the velvet punch that the American one got. I called it the sawtooth pheno, and uh, American bastard cannabis kind of has like a jagged edge leaf. So I'm gonna hunt for a zigzag pheno velvet punch F2 and then cross that to the velvet punch, uh, and then essentially cross that to the bastard. And then I'm going to gift those seeds to people and not tell them at first until they pop them. Cause I just imagine when they're growing them, cause I saw a few people growing ABC for the first time and they're just like blown away when they first start seeing those crazy ass leaves. So I think it'll be like a fun gift. It's like a freebie on the side of like other things, you know, that you give to people. Uh, Dak, that'd be wild crazy reactions. If they, if they get it serrated, it would look like a maple tree, a maple leaf, right? I just can't even imagine. Like, I think it's going to end up like something like Freak Show, or I don't know. Like, right, I'm, right. I just can't wait to see what comes from it. I think that these mutations are interesting, uh, just from a you know visual perspective. I, I love different cannabis genetics and, and proving to people that there is diversity because a lot of people from outside cannabis are like, oh, it's all just fucking same. It's just a bunch of stoners over there doing this or that. But being able to do like 50 strains of green and show off 50 different strains and highlight the smells and uh, different appearances and, and breeders and their histories and all that stuff it's uh it's cool to me and to be able to play around with it and have access to some of those genetics that i've read about for so long and uh finally get to play with it's uh really cool to experiment and uh, mess we know, do we know what those are kind of testing out at has anybody tried testing that variety that you're talking about and maybe where we're at with that the abc or yeah. so it's typically yeah. pretty low but there's a guy named 
uh, subterfuge who's bred it. Uh, and I don't know if, uh, I can't remember who Dan got the ABC from, but the subterfuge guy has bred up the THC pretty high. So, and I think it's available through CSI Humboldt um, if people are looking for those seeds. But yeah, there, there's a few different varieties. They've got like batch four, batch two, and things like that, all labeled out different, uh, you know, phenotypes and smells and potencies. But I do think that ABC is a little bit on the low potency side, but um, I, I think more just like a, from the freak perspective of it, <laughs> people, I think will be growing cannabis, ultimately like how people grow Monsterra or whatever it is that uh, variegated like house plant that people like to obsess about and just keep as like, look at this beautiful collectible plant, you know? And, uh, I think there's going to be more of that in cannabis in the future as it continues to be more and more legal. Cause I think it's one of the most beautiful plants out there. Like I've looked at lots of flowers and there are a lot of beautiful flowers, but cannabis is a uh, very unique and well, all of presentations. It is. I think you have to be, sorry, go ahead, Spartan. I was just saying, imagine it could be an ornamental. If you got a really interesting leaf structure, you could keep it in an 18 hour veg cycle perpetually, just keep clipping it down. Yeah. And it could be a fucking ornamental plant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The ornamental growers that I, Oh, we were, you, we were speaking first. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I was just thinking that it has a lot It's a very fragrant plant and mm. um, you know, we associate it with a number of smells that we like for sort of the cannabis product that, that we enjoy in various forms. If you were growing it for a house plant though, I think you would want to breed it for a, a different, smell profile but I, I think that's possible and i think it could still be a very pungent house plant and i think that that might there be something you could play with there even yeah, the current cool. cannabis from non-smokers i was surprised when medi cropper went on fucking talking shit with eagle he doesn't even smoke cannabis this dude's been growing commercially for years and he just picks some based off oh that one looks the nicest that one smells the nicest this one's popular or whatever so he's been growing commercially and like picking pretty fire shit uh, that I, I hadn't known up until the point that he came on fucking talking shit with Eagle. And I'd been following the dude for years that he didn't smoke. So it was just kind of amazing to me that he just treats them all like kind of like a house plant, right? He just, he smells them and looks at them, but he never consumes them ever. So yeah. Yeah, the That's... ornamental growers that I worked with uh, previously um, a couple of years ago, they were trying to do the same thing. Not only were they trying to cult, they were trying to switch crops, but also um, still with the ornamental side, they were trying to include hemp, uh, as like a ornamental um, uh, admixture. And I thought that was really forward thinking and interesting um, because I think he was trying to, you know, you're trying to target like a, a younger demographic that might find that very, very much more appealing because apparently younger people aren't buying flowers, which um, doesn't sort of surprise me, but yeah. Houseplants, yeah. they come back. Does anybody know if, uh, you know, one thing, I don't even know if it's biologically possible, so uh, excuse me for bringing it up, but like if someone could ever create a, a plant or maybe if maybe those plants, if anybody's even checked them, but they, that wouldn't produce heat, you know, because obviously cannabis plants produce heat and, uh, you know, where uh, authorities are able to see that. I wonder if like uh, the ABC and the Australian nice. audio stuff does as well. The authorities, when they look for heat signatures, they're looking for HPS bulbs. They're not looking for the heat that the plants themselves put out. They're looking for the... the I could have sworn that. I thought I did some research where tomato plants and marijuana plants do produce heat, and that's why they do kind of hover over in the cooler nights. Kind of like no, the same thing. The, they produce 
a tiny amount of heat, but those things where you are flying over with a helicopter with an infrared sensor is looking for the, the heat register from indoor lighting. Or people probably. camping out at Gorilla Grows, like in a oh, tent yeah. in the woods yeah. next to a crop, you know, in the middle of a national park. Like, Oh, but could, could you perhaps be thinking of um, uh, IR reflectance? Yeah, because I was going to say that they, they do give off a different uh, lighting. Like wavelength. Judge health. Um, yeah. From, yeah, I don't I mean, know. I, just watched, I remember just watching a whole show where they're able to go into these places not in the city that they're able to find these massive grows like out in like Mexico and stuff like that. And the, yeah, it's probably yeah, using the spectrum. Not the planet that itself, energy. it's from the light, is the heat of the light the grow lights themselves. Yeah, but that's not heat exactly. You can look for different, basically just different patterns in, in the density of, of the foliage and of what specific foliage puts off those, those sort of um wavelengths so but you're not looking at heat registers in that case and they certainly do fly helicopters over they they did more um flying helicopters looking for clandestine indoor grows but those were looking for lights yeah but that's a it's actually a really interesting uh point to bring up because we also use uh, more and more i'm seeing uh like uh un unmanned uh, aerial vehicles being used for um, looking at uh, damage and nutritional discrepancies and hydration discrepancies in, uh, in plants You're using these, uh, these spectra. Uh, and it, I think it's very intriguing, very interesting. And uh, from an IPM perspective, um, you know, I think it's really cool. I, it's, I'm not sure exactly why and perhaps it's just a cost reason why it's not used in other, why it couldn't be used in other crops, because I know that you're usually doing this at a, at a great distance and maybe that's necessary for the reflectance. Maybe you get too much interference closer down. I don't know, but I feel like you could install like a, you could mount like a, like an optic or a camera or even use like a micro aerial vehicle. But I'm curious, like that, that's an interesting thing I'd like to see. Maybe there's more to that possibly. Maybe you could even put like a visor on your head and we can, uh, you know, we can uh, we can look at it like uh, like it's ghost in the shell or something. Well, they're they're using that for raiding homes now. For like when they're a SWAT team does a raid, they have those uh, UAVs that they're actually um, you can able you can see live what's on the camera and the pilot is like. Oh yeah, fired. I've seen those. I've seen those. You can so also they fly like, into the home corners. to identify like where there's potential threats in the home before they'll find like one open window, fly that in right as they bust the door down and they'll be like, Hey, there's, you know, two people in this room, one person in that room, this person's armed, this person's not. And it's uh, actually lowering casualties, which is a great implementation implementation of technology in my opinion. So it's cool to see that kind of stuff in uh, law enforcement or in agriculture. Um, like I know one thing about cameras that I just learned recently from a Tesla presentation about like when it's raining, the cars that are using autopilot, when it's using regular vision and colors, um, the rain obstructs the view, but when they go to like infrared, it can still pick up a lot of mm -hmm. the images. So it's doing something as a computer that our human eye wouldn't be able to do and improving uh, upon it using that technology. And I think we're going to continue to see stuff like that in gardening where it uses but, the spectrum that we can't physically see with our own eye. I mean, for that matter, um, uh, various satellites utilize radar in order to look right through clouds look right through other obstructions. Um, and if you angle it right, 
you can even, I forget what the term of this is called, uh, synthetic something or other, but basically you're able to angle the camera, shoot the radar waves and actually bounce it into like a structure. And then it bounces around the structure and comes back out. And then you can get like a, an idea of what the interior looks like, which is uh, pretty amazing, but also has implications. I found the reference I was thinking of, and I remember now it, it somehow, um, the photographs through, with the coloring showed the uh, photosynthetic, uh, like how much photosynthetic uh, was, hap was happening, taking place. You know what I'm saying? So I'll drop yeah. it in. The, it was in the hemp fields. This woman was doing experiments with, I, I forget now the, the exacts, and it, she didn't have it in the description of, um, she was, you know, t um, doing experiments and she could see the difference from one field to the other field just by the color of the photograph that they took. I don't know what kind of wavelength she was using, but I'll put yeah. it in both tests. I've done, I think it's I've done some analysis on GIS using Landsat images for that exact thing in research in Southern Mexico, looking at how land use patterns had changed through time and looking at, God, I can't remember all the details of this, but we could absolutely run filters on the Landsat images to determine sort of the photosynthesis and the amount of photosynthesis in different quadrants in the map, and then plot sort of, um, we could see differences between forest cover and fields and other kinds of denuded landscapes, fields that had been abandoned and weren't used and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I ran a long sort of longitudinal study through 30 years of those Landsat images to see how the land use had changed. So there's a lot of cool things you can do with this. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just, uh, uh, NDVI is, um, I just put in the comments, is a normalized difference vegetation index. And, and they use things like that. So they compare near infrared and red light because one's strongly reflected and one's absorbed. And so when you tell that difference, you can make some uh, sort of conclusions based yeah. on that. And it was I cool also... because I knew somebody who was using this to even look at different kinds of pests. Like they had different and even pathogens. And I think I told us told a story about this being used to um, for a quick de uh, olive quick decline syndrome. Uh, this pathogen is invisible when it first infects, and then it ramps up and becomes very problematic. And they were able to tell what were visually identical populations which ones had it before the infections actually started, which was crazy to me. And uh, uh, I look forward to seeing more of that lately. I also remember uh, watching a thing, I think it was in Brazil, where somehow they were taking satellite pho photographs and because of the pyramids that they built there were made of a lot of limestone, the vegetation looked different and they found like many sites of uh, pyramids that were built that they didn't know about because it was covered by vegetation. Yes, and the vegetation then is different because it was growing in a more limestone-rich yes. substrate than the surrounding early. vegetation yeah. was. Yeah, that's exactly. in um, further north. That's in like uh, Guatemala and in Tabasco and southern Mexico and El Salvador, the Mayan sites. That's fascinating, by the way. I just think that's so cool that they were able to discover that because of that reason and end up, I think they excava excavated some of those sites since. 
Yeah, some archaeologists think that they've discovered less than half of the Mayan cities so far. I mean, it's just such a dense jungle in the, the sort of seat of where that a lot of the Mayan activity were going on. So, um, yeah, that's a, another way that they're using a lot of these remote sensing technologies and trying to figure out how to, you know, interpret the different wavelengths of light. It's really fascinating stuff. But I think it kind of a lot of that goes away when you can get your boots on the ground and sort of look around at things. So it's it's just different levels of of scale. I don't know very much stuff that can be done better, although maybe what Matthew was just talking about is an example of this that can be done better from a remote sensing capability. Eh, the more I say this, the more I'm sort of correcting myself. There are different things you can do at, at remote sensing than with right up close. Most of us are dealing with our cannabis crops pretty much right up close. Though. Yeah, but what if I could have like a bug vision or like, you know, like a visor where I could just, uh, I don't know, it's like a like fleur, but um, but more specific. Um, that'd be, that would be so interesting. Looking closer at a, at a specific plant as opposed to sort of thinking about it, it. You're looking, using this more like on one tree as opposed to the forest itself. I got you. Yeah, that'd be, that would be fun if I could just like pop it on and, I'm, and somebody's looking in and because uh, it's very hard to find these small insects, right? So something like that could be really interesting, uh, but probably super expensive right now. And, and maybe there's not a, uh, maybe the, the benefits of that outweigh the, or don't outweigh the cost. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, our ability to sense things in, in different ways is expanding. So, and improving with technology. So to, to think about what would be the best way to identify and to, to sort of sense the plant pathogens or the, the pests or whatever else, whether that's through, um, maybe it's through sound, maybe it's through, you know, some other thing that, that they, they produce that will get better at being able to determine or to, to discern. Imagine in the future, we'll have some sort of augmented reality type thing where you could snap down I, I imagine matthew with like a little headset he could snap down one's got like a flare one's yeah. got like a uv infrared whatever it is and he can just click through between them uh, but i know like google glass had something like where you could like look through and kind of like semi-augmented reality and snapchat's tried some stuff with like the glasses with the cameras on them and things like that so i think that there will be a wearable technology in the future that uh, we'll be able to implement but i do think it's a little bit of a ways out and it'll be expensive for the first several years i've heard that there's like a for people who do coding like writing code on computers they have like a little camera that can monitor your screen and like help uh, offer additional inputs and things like that so i can imagine that being sort of engineered into alternative uh, workplaces and jobs where it can optimize what you're seeing in front of you and offer suggestions and feedback like oh hey there might actually be pest damage there that you're not seeing yet so something like that Mm -hmm. yeah like uh, uh augmented reality glasses i think that's uh there's a lot there's a lot you can do with that there certainly it certainly is did you um actually you know speaking of cool technologies weren't you showing me a video where um they were using uh sonication uh ultrasonic uh i sent a study or a link or something like that uh and i was like hey this is interesting but i figured you would know a lot more about it than i would so i was like hey if you wanted to talk about this on the show, we could bring it up because it was not quite a white paper, but a new interesting technology that I think the people would be uh, interested to hear about. I think it was like using certain waves to uh, 
I think it was prevent pest or identify pest or something like that. Um, I need to go. No, back they were and... killing a, a virus. It was, I think, if I remember correctly, it was t- tomato. Yeah, one of the tomato like, brown t- something or other rugos brown virus or something like that virus. Um, I can probably look it up, but basically, uh, they were looking at ways that they could destroy it in because it can it can move through water. Uh, so water tends to be um, a really common vector, and so they were wondering if there was a way that they could like treat the water with through uh, like ultrasonic um, uh, pulses. And what they found was that when they, when they experimented in a situation where you would never have so much virus material in the water, the pulses were very, very effective. So ostensibly they would also be effective, um, you know, potentially as a part of a water reclamation system um, in agriculture or something like this. And uh, this is actually one of the, I have made criticisms of other sonication devices and mostly just claims of efficacy, like where's the data? Um, not, that, not that there necessarily aren't ways that they can be very useful. This is one of the ways that I think it would be very easy to use and it would be targeted and you would probably limit potential or unintentional consequences, right? Uh, because once you start blasting things with sound waves, you know, we found in experiments with like people <laughs> and other sorts of situations where that could be very um, damaging without realizing it. And so we have to be very careful when we use such broad spectrum um, treatments, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, that looks like it to me. Did I get it right to remember correctly? I believe so. So I just wanted to pull it up for the people. This is a Hort Daily article that I saw. I believe it was on Twitter, but it says uh, various tests. Uh, they were using ultrasonic transmitters on tomato brown rugose fruit virus. And uh, I believe it was effective from the findings. Super effective. Oh yeah, yeah. see, um, yeah, that paragraph up there, a grower would never have these levels of um, tomato brown rugose fruit virus in their cultivation water. We'd use 12 kilograms of contaminated tomatoes, leaves, and stems. We then kept adding that to 100 liters of water and um, yeah, and this was a United States Air Force, right? Is that correct? Uh, ultrasonic transmitter. Yeah, USAF. So I believe that's US Air Force. Yeah, um, and it probably would work for other other viruses too, uh, and possibly even I mean, other microbial agents as well. So that's just you know that's just a really in a lot of ways it's actually kind of. Uh, obvious because we use that i know people they use this for uh, kidney stones for example it's sort of an odd example but uh yeah they uh they can um destroy the sort of oxalate crystals that can form for some people you know through uh, ultrasonic uh pulses it's technically frequencies so to all the hippies that are saying it's all frequencies man it's like yeah they're kind of right in in this one at least Um, well yeah it's all it's all waves I, I suppose, right? <laughs> In one sense or another, but yeah, it's it, it's very interesting to see. And I would wonder um, now we have to see the does this work against uh, hop latent viroid or something else like that? You know, let's let's do oh, some I testing. And, and I think uh, I wonder. I imagine that it's probably not a good idea to do. And this is why this is why I bring up like the technicality. Like like you say, it is like it's very uh, attractive to just say, oh, it's the frequency that destroys it. And, and that has a lot of um, meaning to different people. It means very different things to those people. But uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that you have to be careful because just because it's frequencies, man, doesn't mean that it's like benign. Uh, it can be very lethal. 
And I imagine you don't want to apply this sonicator to like the tissues to destroy the virus because you'll probably destroy other really uh, important, delicate structures and uh, compounds and things like this. So that's, that's all I want to say is that um, I'm not like against frequencies being the answer. You just got to respect the frequencies. 100%. Like UVC, for example, it, it kills viruses, but it also kills cells. So we can't just go bathing in it to protect ourselves from viruses because we'll end up causing ourselves a lot more damage than we'd be doing any good. So uh, it's all about using it properly, right? I kind of feel the same way about oxidation stress. Like uh, too much is always bad, but we've evolved to use it for so many different things and for signaling and stuff and implants too. So if you get a product that's like, eliminate all the oxidative stress or all of the oxidation in your body. I'm like, that could be very damaging and problematic. And I'm dubious some. about that. Yeah. With that said, I want to give uh, Kyle a chance to give his final thoughts and shout out. Cause he is only going to be with us for the first hour tonight. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we discussed some good stuff tonight. Uh, Genevieve, I'm really happy for you and you've, you've grown extremely uh, far and fast in a very short little period of time and I know that only comes with uh a lot of persistence a lot of hard work and uh just you know just grinding and uh so I, I understand how you're doing and I'm just really happy for you and I'm sure you're gonna keep moving on up on things Thanks, um, man. yeah uh in regards to everyone else man I love you guys still, uh glad we still do this uh I do have a new website that I have launching out I don't, I don't know if I, t- I actually haven't mentioned that at all uh it's brand new Nothing too crazy. I had a web developer kind of just do a brand new one because the the other one imploded on the on the last drop, and that was an issue. And it's just kind of outdated a little bit because I built it myself. Um, so that's happening in the next couple of weeks. You know, the, the drop with Dan's happening. I have a really cool project going on right now with Matt and uh, and some two other really fine gentlemen that Matt could definitely elaborate a lot more uh, intelligently and intellectually than I can about the whole thing. That's really cool. Maybe he wants to touch on that after. And uh, other than that, yeah, I still have some some seed lines on my website. If people are interested, uh, pbreeding.com. Um, I'm, I'm kind of running a little bit low, but uh, yeah, that's still the original. I haven't swapped over the, uh, but she, she, she basically sent me what she built and, she, and if I like it, she'll implement it on there, but that's still the original one. But, uh, um, but yeah, just still happy to keep doing this. If you guys, anybody has any questions on this listening or in there, uh, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, pure underscore breeding on Instagram, pure breeding on Facebook. And uh, yeah, I appreciate all you guys and take care everyone. Have a great week, Kyle. Thank you so much for joining us. I just wanted to show Peace off some of the website, show the original before the uh, new one drops so people can see oh, I the, like that. Uh, before and after. That was very clever. That was very smart of you, Jack. I um, Now we have that for posterity. I like it. Um, Thanks, I, I'm happy to elaborate a bit about that with uh, regards to Psycho International and uh, Mark and John. Yeah, um, sure. So right. yeah, I've, oh, did you want to say something more? He just head out. I think he was just oh, okay. saying uh, he, he respects <laughs> that you are going to give it some more uh, attention on the show, but he's got to go. Sure. So Saigo, right? So Saigo International, they're up in uh, uh, Anza and uh, they've grown hemp. And I've worked with them about with regards to their IPM uh, kind of at the beginning of 2020, we had um, sort of plans to uh, renovate the the native uh, plants in the area. Um, they want to grow sort of sustainably and with the, the ecosystem that they have on their property. So I helped them uh, track 
some of the plants that would be appropriate for these uh, these cultivation um, excursions, also the pests that they would be interacting with uh, potentially and other sorts of organisms that are sort of more neutral. And um, fortunately for them, they actually didn't interact with a whole lot of pests, uh, even though our, um, our uh, trapping and other sorts of um, procedures uh, did show some things like the the dreaded budworm moth and things like this, but they really didn't deal with any of that at all, which was great. So uh, fast forward to now, they're trying, they want to sort of uh, work with um, with Kyle and uh, sort of grow some plants in a living soil system um, and just sort of do an experiment. And to be honest, I actually, um, <laughs> I actually don't know all of the details off the top of my head, um, but we did do a, a live stream that you can catch on my YouTube channel. Um, I'm sorry, on my Instagram account only uh, currently, which is Sync Angel. And um, we go over some of the details as well. I think Aaron and Aaron, the grower is also um, joining us here. We're going to be growing various plants that Kyle has bred and then uh, see the difference in uh, cultivation for these. From these. I think there's two different uh, main ways that they're going to be growing it. Uh, they're going to be changing up the, uh, the soil dynamics a little bit, but I'm there to help with the microbial inoculant, understanding the sort of um, life forms they might interact with and also guarding against the ones that would kind of sort of uh, spoil the results, so to speak, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> and it's kind of like going to be, it's, it's meant to be sort of a transparent look at the cultivation procedure as well. And it'll probably be a catalyst for a lot of topics that we want to talk about. Uh, like if we do end up getting pests, we'll, we'll make a video about that. We'll talk about what happens and how we're going to mitigate that. Or um, if we see certain things growing, uh, or if we see certain discrepancies, we might make a topic of that too. So it's basically like a plant vlog with a 24 hour camera. So, uh, you can see what happens at any time. Is there going to be some kind of a control? Like, because each person grows in a different way in a different system. So they'd have to have like grow in their own way. And then one with the, with the, the variable, right? Totally. Uh, it's not, it's sort of a low tech comparison. It doesn't okay. include a control as far as I know, just two different, just uh, two different uh, plots. And I think that they decided on doing uh, six plants in each one. And so it's sort of like a miniature experiment there, but you're totally, you do not make a poor point. Sorry for the silence. I uh, got a work message unrelated to the show. They got me distracted, but uh, I'm definitely really excited to see you work with Kyle's stuff and uh, work with Saigo and do some uh, what I consider to be like proper citizen science as much as we can. And it's cool to get that data for him on those particular strains and see how they do. And uh, I'm excited to see the data that comes forward. I'm just happy to see cannabis being researched out in the open as much as it is in different ways. Um, because for so long it was kind of only a few people could do it and uh, it wasn't necessarily for the best reasons it was like let's find the bad in this and expose it and make it look as bad as we possibly can and now we're doing like you know actual research on like how it can be cultivated and uh, pests that come about and how to treat them and things like that versus uh, why is this bad for children <laughs> or something like that you know uh, it's a whole different world in 2021 than you know a few decades ago and uh i'm very thankful to continue to see canada the us and many other places opening up 
their minds about cannabis and allowing it to be researched. So uh, that's, I think that's they were forced to Jack because um, now that they're going recreational, they can allow it. They're, they're only doing it for the money, is my opinion. And they're, they're shutting down some medical, uh, you know, medical in a lot of states, and that's going to hamper the uh, research on the medicinal side, in my opinion. See, I disagree with that because although I think that there's going to be less of a medical market, um, there's always going to be research done because if it's profitable, it's like follow the money, right? And there's people... Uh, an illness, treating that illness has always been fairly profitable for people, um, especially if they're doing it ethically and, you know, with uh, a plant, if they can do it at scale at a good price and it's uh, efficacious and shown uh, to work for people, then it, look at how popular cannabis is right now. It's booming. So according but, to the federal government, there is no medical value to it at all. While they yeah, simultaneously on, hold a patent that has neuroprotective yes. properties. I'm on uh, I'm on Cal's side of this. I think that uh, if if all of a sudden, and I'm just, this is just a hypothetical, if you all of a sudden came out with a, a medical reason for alcohol, that's not going to change. I mean, this is hypothetical, but it's not going to change the fact that you know everybody uses alcohol. Most people use it to to get a head change. I would contend that most people that are going to be growing pot at a at a commercial level are going to be tuned to that audience. And even if there is a small medical side, I still think that the the recreational side is going to be the focus of any big time cannabis producer. Uh, and you know what, Jack, they have studies that prove it's, you know, reduces tumors and the, the government still hasn't moved on any of that stuff in other countries that that's a big thing. Like Israel, I think in Israel, they give it to the vets for free, if I'm not mistaken. So and look at what Epidiolex <laughs> goes for here, just CBD oil, like Epidiolex is the pharmaceutical name that the FDA right. has approved it under. You know what that costs? It's like I don't. thousands a month. It's the same exact cost as whatever you would have to treat yourself of epilepsy with. They just looked yep. at that pharmaceutical right. cost, went like a dollar underneath it, and said, we're going to provide it the exact same cost, but $1 less or whatever it is. So it wasn't like right. they did it at um, you know, the greatness of their hearts. I'll say that. Mm, they no. got an FDA approved. That's not cheap to do. So they're making their money back. Now, uh, CBD oil is available by home growers and cultivators all over the world. And you can get it from hemp. You can get it from cannabis, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do think for the greater good, it, it is nice to see that starting to break down uh, the limitations that the government has to restrict it. But it's going to be interesting to see with legalization here because like Canada went fully legal. They're still doing medical stuff up there, right? ACF, a, ACMPR is still legal, um, which allows you way more plants than if you were just home growing, which is like four plants versus like people can get hundreds of plants of the medical. So um, I don't think we should discount the medical side of things, even if it's small and just for us to take advantage of um, and have right. larger plant counts and, and freedoms. And mainly for me, like I'll keep getting my medical every year just to have some of the legal protections um, that it provides to me as a patient, as far as like weight, I can carry a number of plants that I can have and not worry that I popped too many seeds or something. And now I'm going to you know, get some big fine or whatever it is. So no, I don't think Tao was saying that. I, 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 I'm not saying that. I think you should definitely be right. uh, protective of patients' rights and for, the, for those reasons, because the more that it's going to go towards it, it's going to go more towards the recreational side. Sure, there, if it came federally legal, there would be some research done on the medical side, and, and there'd probably be some aspects. And who knows? There, there probably is, just like you said, there probably is a whole bunch of stuff. Just I knew about the Israel study. I read that about that, too. But 
I think that it's a very slippery slope when you talk talking about taking away patients' rights and all people that are medical patients should be very protective of their rights and very pro medical rights. I think anybody who's watched this show knows my opinion about this matter. But, uh, <laughs> uh, fuck the MCMA and RSO cures cancer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do want to, I don't want it to be a pessimistic viewpoint on regulation because for example, there's regulation here in Michigan that um, earmarks money that's collected from the regulatory fees that are paid every year by our licenses. So all of the licenses, we, we have to pay that license fee every year. And we also have to, we have to pay it at the local level and then at the state level. Some of that money is earmarked directly for cannabis research, for medicinal cannabis research. And it gets split up and it's all public record and it gets split up to the different universities that have programs in that area. And you can look on their report and see where that goes. So it's directly funding research in cannabis. So, I mean, for sure it can still be, if you do it right, if it's not, I mean, if that's not, that's Michigan, doesn't mean that's everywhere, but you can hundred percent lobby your lawmaker and tell them, Hey, look, Michigan's got a program that does this. Why aren't we doing this here? We've got ours lobbying for law enforcement. <laughs> they're, they're saying, Hey, <laughs> Hey, that budget yes. that you're getting taxes now, now we can enforce it to go after the illegal grows and after the people that are selling it to the kids and after the people that are doing this and that, which to, I will agree with the fact that I don't think it should be sold to children in, in the schools and things like that. Even though I was using it at that age, I think that if they're going to regulate it, there has to be some level or age that you have to say when. Um, personally, I, I don't know what that age is, but um, I think that's up for the community to decide as a whole. We should vote on it. There should be, uh, I think, at 18 currently or 21 in most states. So if, if they need to enforce that, if there's people under those ages, like they sh- aren't allowed to technically watch these shows and sometimes people will just click around it and, you know, People find their way around the law, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be one written, I guess. Yeah, all systems can be abused, right? But like, as long as you're, you know, you're at least trying to do something that's like empirically based. Like another thing is that, and you make a good point, like you don't feel like arbitrarily it should be controlled. Well, it's because there are situations where maybe it shouldn't be utilized, right? Like any sort of medicinal product. I, I think that actually one of my favorite overlooked things about i think cannabis legalization and i'm curious still to see the fallout i'm sure i'm not sure we've seen it yet is how much the acceptance of cannabis use has um maybe facilitated the question of well what substances are we really going to control and what is ridiculous to control like for example we will demonize if somebody was driving under the influence of alcohol or driving the influence of cannabis or whatever, right? Because they have a syntax, right? But uh, if somebody's on Robitussin or some other sort of like prescription medication, um, you know, people look at it differently. So a lot of that's just perception. But in all of those cases, people could potentially have uh, a shift of perception. For example, you can still get a DUI. I'll just say that Tiger Woods. Right? Tiger Woods was yeah. pulled over on the side of the road. They thought he was drunk and he was on prescription medication painkillers i know from experience i got my wisdom teeth pulled was they this can... when his wife left him because he didn't get a ticket no, this is I a i mean it was definitely after his wife had left him but this was like within the last few years and he was pulled over on the side of the road asleep and he was just they thought he was drunk and he had taken painkillers because his back's all fucked up from golf and i think this was before he got in the car accident 
Um, well, that but, was, yeah, the most recent, because that was one of the issues. I mean, that whole thing where he drives away from his wife and his wife smashing the window with his thing and he crashes into a tree. Um, he apparently was under the influence of, of medication at that time. And that led to his crash into the tree and didn't get like consequences from that. So I would think being harried would sort of mitigate that situation. What's that? I would think being harried would like would like be a mitigating factor like somebody's trying to break my car i need to get out of yeah, here he has like the self-defense argument as well as the i'm on <laughs> prescription pills but i think the one where he was pulled over it was like in florida i'm pretty sure he was pulled, pulled over on the side of the road and he has better attorneys than i would obviously and i don't yeah. want to make any definitive statements but allegedly he may have been like intoxicated even under the you know use or whatever and they tried to write him a dui but later in mm. court these things get thrown out um and it's found to be prescription medication, but I don't know how they would justify abuse versus like maybe his doctor overprescribed him or it just didn't set well, like depending on how much they ate. Like I know I've eaten the same edible two different days. Um, and I, I believe no, that it was I'm the same not dose. Sure but... that there's a, the, I, I don't know this and it's probably different in different states, but um, I know that at least some of the laws are written to be for, it, it's based on the, the fact that you're impaired whether mm -hmm. or not alcohol or some other drug caused the impairment is inconsequential and whether you were prescribed it is inconsequential. Um, and a lot of medications list that, like don't operate heavy machinery until you know how this medicine will, will affect you. I'm not sure that you waive any kind of liability for that by just saying like, oh, the doctor prescribed it and it's not alcohol. You were still impaired. Oh, that's true. I guess, and you make a really good point there because of what they say. They do have, and you're right, is I think different different places. But I suppose that I do think that that there's a big psychological component, sociological component. Yes. Now, how society responds is totally different, right? Yeah, but, but you're totally right. And I'm, I'm written. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad yeah. the law is more like, uh, uh, what's the word? Agnostic. You know about the... you... Oh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no problem about the cause. But yeah. Tal has his hand up. I wanted to let him jump in there. Oh, the yeah. The way you get off of these things is it's easy to, it's hard to demonstrate impairment when there's mm. not a legal standard for it established. That's been one of the issues with a lot of the um, cannabis legalization issues and, and thinking about uh, regulating driving while high. Um, it, it's very difficult to establish a objectively like valid me metric to judge impairment on a lot of and probably Actually, too but we have one that everybody just agrees to but yeah. exactly no that's a great point and I, that's actually the crux of what i wanted to say and i'll let tao say now but yeah it is that sort of like what is okay what is not okay and what you know and what we all agree with and everyone will be different but um it is hard to judge what really is intoxicated after all. Even, you could have your heart pumping for a million reasons, not all of them um, pharmaceutical. Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's like a whole bunch of times that people shouldn't be driving just because they're like emotionally devastated by something or whatever, like after sure. a breakup. I mean, it, it's like there. Yeah, it's tough. That's a weird one. I, I want to let you jump in because I have a comment related to what you guys have said. Uh, okay, so I won't. Uh, well, I was going to say, um, the Pop Brothers at Law just did a today did a post that can, uh, I believe California has uh, come to the conclusion that THC 
uh, content in your body does not mean impaired. So mm-hmm. like, there's no way to, uh, they're not gonna, there's no way to, to they're not gonna give you a DUI for having too much THC in you, supposedly. They're trying different uh, shit though for cannabis. I'll tell you that they have like iPads that track your eyes and make you follow the dot type thing. And, and they're trying to come out with technology. I think it will be fought in court because just like we were talking about with alcohol, it is accepted, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's great. Um, there are some people that can drive with the legal limit and be fucked up. And there are some people that can drink more than the legal limit and drive and not get in accidents. So there is, it's not black and white as we'd like to think it is. There is tolerance. Yeah. Tolerance. Really not everybody has the same degree of intoxicated when their blood alcohol level is 0.1%, yeah. right? I mean, they just aren't. Yeah. Well, and with everything too, right? People that smoke a lot of weed aren't going to be stupid, you know, driving, but someone that just did it that first time might be dangerous. Yeah. And it's not the best idea. To with every drug. After yeah. trying any drug for the first time, I would <laughs> surmise. Yeah. Unless it's like caffeine or something. I don't know. Very, but even that you could get hooked up on. But I, I know my... people who have a head change on Benadryl, and I just can't even empathize. Right. Like I've never had that experience, <laughs> you know. It's so weird how different things affect different people. But I raised my hand to change the subject <laughs> if we can. I was gonna ask Nudie what she's what she's grown in the facility and in her place because I love hearing about strains and what's what's going on. Wow. Good question. I, I um <coughs> it's nice to see you. It's nice to join you guys. I'll just so good it. to have you. Thank you. Um this is actually the, my first case. So I am growing things, but at home I'm not growing. I'm gearing I'm gearing up to start up again, but it, this is the first grow break I've had um for my own medical grow in uh, like five years usually and for me it's like like grow after grow after grow after grow so it's been nice but also I've been missing it so I don't currently have anything started yet but I got a big lineup coming and at work um it's very exciting actually I just started it right when I started there in August at the beginning of August um we started a pheno hunt so it was like my first big project. So these plants are now um, in flower, the first room. So 90 different cultivars um, times two. So I got twins <laughs> doing their thing. And um, and then same thing will happen in the second room. So we're going to have, I'm not going to mention, there's some big um, breeders in this lineup, um, Canarado Genetics, uh, Emerald Legacy, um, we got some Mac in there. So Capillator, Alien Genetics, just some really cool stuff. And so I'm really excited. These strains, there's 14 different strains. And I believe I had a total of around probably 170 um, individuals altogether. So within the 14 strains. So I'm mostly excited about that. We're hitting like lime flavors, apple banana, grape, uh, coffee, all the things. Let's just do it. So I feel like I am the queen of home grow chaos. And now I've just um, now brought that to work. So I'm like, <laughs> nice chaos. That sounds like fun. 170 plants, all different. Oh, it's maniacness. Just yeah. everything that with them and there's the ones we have in there now they're so vigorous and like 
it's just so cool. It's like one of my favorite things. And that's just a little tiny piece of what I'm doing is the R&D. It's a smaller farm. So we got five grow rooms. Three of them are bedrooms or mom rooms, one nursery, teenage room, mom room. So three bedrooms, two flower rooms. We're expanding. Um, and then I also am overseeing three micro cultivation facilities in Nova Scotia, which is the province next to us. And so we have over there um, another, I guess I'll say eight grow rooms. So Do they with get that, the fish water too or no? those other ones no so they're using the living soil they okay. couldn't bring in the the aquaponics piece our farm is unique in that way um and we're hitting the higher coas so i mean that's got to be something to do with the fish for sure yeah but um so yeah we we are a nursery so we also sell genetics and clones to other licensed producers here in canada from the east to the west um we have sales doing that clones and mothers if you know me you know they're my favorite thing ever and so I get to spend a lot of time with mothers and then um basically my R&D flowering rooms are um, bonus buds so we can release those as like um small batch craft cannabis just like fun releases spring release summer release winter release um people love it different stuff trendy things you know market driven so, so you're going to plan on reducing the 14 cultivars to like three or four or how many are you planning to keep when you're done with the hunt <laughs> so within each strain so we'll have the 14 strains total and within each i want to bring those down to right now there's probably anywhere between um six and 15 females to down to like two <laughs> each two of the best so i got my checklists ready I've been watching YouTube videos on pheno hunting. <laughs> like I know my experience. I've grown over 200 cultivars strains myself. So I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I got my second. Um, I got a great, um, I, I hate calling him a kid, but he is. He's 21 to 22 years old. Um, but we, I know Jack said something earlier about some, I don't know who you guys were talking about, but somebody who doesn't consume cannabis, but is actually in touch with the plant the weed plant and just is so passionate that's this kid right here like never met somebody like this that is so natural with the cannabis plant but doesn't consume it he grows weed at home and has been growing for like a really long time maybe longer than me and uh grows for his dad because his dad needs it medically so he just respects the plant so much that he decided he's not going to consume it unless he needs to no, Genevieve, I'm afraid you fundamentally misunderstand that if he doesn't smoke, that means all of his opinions are invalid and <laughs> everyone out there. And if you didn't grow for 30 years beforehand, oh, yeah. uh, you're not a real grower. And I'm sorry to say that I've been told this enough times that it's just inculcated in me. And I just want to let you know that you're wrong on all accounts. No, I totally agree with you. I, I'm really happy to hear that, honestly, that, that, he, that he has this sort of green thumb. That's yeah, my, my thought I like is that theory, Nudie, but he just doesn't know he needs it right now. I think he needs it yeah. right now. Everyone uses medically whether they know it or not. I believe exactly. that's strong. Yeah. yeah, but it might I mean, benefit him. I, I do believe that, like, even if you don't have an ailment, that in 10, 20, 30, 50 years, they're going to look at cannabis as a nutritional supplement. Like, CBD is going to be added just like a protein in a shake. 
you know, CBD is going to be on the nutrition fact label. How much yeah. CBD is in this? Pills. I was in Detroit, shout out to Detroit, and I got a drink at a bar that was a non-alcoholic drink that was CBD infused. I was like, fuck yeah, give me that CBD infused. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of that around here. There's a kombucha that's CBD infused that I loved. Um, and it's just pretty commonplace in California at this point, thankfully. And I think a lot of it's actually like better quality than like some of the gas station junk that like people test and there's like one milligram or zero milligrams in a hundred milligram serving or whatever it's supposed Why to be. Why your CBD at the gas station? There's some people do. It's like the truck drivers or whatever. CBD uh, pillows and bath and uh, uh, bed and bathy works. Ba- bed. <laughs> yeah, bath. Bed I've seen some. some uh, Don't make some, fun of my like, CBD pillowcase. CBD, yes, CBD salt, bath salts, right? There's a yeah. uh, there's a uh, arcade over in Portland, Oregon, which is fairly close to where I'm at, called Ground Control. It's kind of legendary in this area, and it's an adult arcade. They have these crazy uh, pinball tournaments. But anyways, they have a CBD drink. And when I was over there last, I had two of them. It was very, very good. I love the feeling and it was really cool to do it. People were asking mm-hmm. questions about it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that is really cool. I, I was, I was, I went there to have a couple of beers and I seen those and I'm like, I'm just going to drink these. They weren't alcoholic, but I drank them. So and it was really cool. They were tasty. I felt, I love the feeling. It was awesome. Yeah, man. I'm with you. Cool. That was pretty sweet. I got uh, at a, uh, they had an event in a park and uh one of the vendors had a the nerd rope and it was 200 milligrams of cbd mm-hmm. was, that was the first time i've seen one with like a, a decent amount of t or not thc cbd i'm sorry i think that's a lot yeah two, 200 i was like fuck yeah and i said and i asked the guy i said am i going to feel a lot from this and he's like i don't know blah, blah, blah. and i was like give it to me <laughs> So I ate it and I did feel a little bit, but it was like very subtle. I couldn't say that it was like a, a huge. CBD is more mellow. It's not like a high. Yeah. It's like your joints are lubricated. You're just like chilling. Like it eases a lot of people's anxiety. It does help some people sleep depending on the dose. Um, but CBD is definitely not like intoxicating in my experience and opinion. But some people like if you've never taken any drugs in your life and like you're like Christian grandma or something out there, take some CBD. She's like, Ooh, like I feel something. I got a head change. CBD is the gateway to THC, honestly, especially with senior citizens. Like I'm, I still currently am medicating my, my ladies back in Alberta are still ordering my CBD. And like, I got ladies that rub it on their feet and like swear by it. Like they need it. And some of them do get like, are you sure there's no THC in here? And I'm like, I do the COA, there is less than 0.7% THC in this, but they do, they, it's just, I think that's over, I think it's an overall feeling of well being. you know, that, that like euphoria that you can sometimes get from THC. I think people can get that from CBD and they're not used to it. Yeah. I think if you're growing it, like like you can get some terpenes in there. Yeah, the yeah, aromatherapeutic element of entourage. it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like people, it, there was like a, I saw some like conspiracy theory chart and like one of the things said essential oils cure all illness. And like, I have like run into those people that believe that. Um, but I do think that they have their place. Like I, I've seen, there are white papers like in, uh, I believe it was done in J- Japan where they use like limonene on one floor of a hospital. And then the next floor, they use their regular cleaner and the limonene floor had like way less infections. And um, so that's just one example, but there are definitely uh, cases where I do think terpenes, uh, you know, or just aromatherapy uh, using 
different essential oils can provide benefits and we get that in cannabis powder herb says that like he likes to use it outside but even when you don't it's like a little piece of nature in your glass you know whether it's a pipe or a bowl or a bong whatever joint um you're bringing that little bit of nature into you when you're using it it's like uh you get that like kind of like when you walk outside through the forest you smell the uh, pining from the pine needles in the trees um there's a term called shinrin yoku which means forest bathing in japan where people walk through the forest to bathe in terpenes essentially and it like lifts their mood a lot of people that are depressed are often told to go walk out in nature to experience like the fresh air and the smell of the flowers essentially uh, stop and smell the roses kind of thing mm-hmm. so definitely there's lots of benefits outside of just the thc and i'm glad that you're able to provide because in canada one of the benefits of legalization you guys can go to the post office and get a box that says for cannabis right and it's like specifically labeled this is a cannabis shipping whatever so yeah. it's, it's legal and Sent free bags for cannabis. <laughs> Sent free bags. Yeah, there's uh, there's this place. Uh, it's probably it's probably about an hour and a half drive away from Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's called Bagby Hot Springs. It's like a legendary hot springs around here, and it's like in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I've been going there for years. I'll post some pictures of there of there in the, in our group chat. But uh, it's really crazy. It's all natural water. It was discovered, but it, it was, it's up on like, it's on the Indian land out there. And it's, uh, it is so crazy. The feeling you get out there, like when I had open heart surgery, one of the first things I do when I first smoked, started smoking like eight months afterwards is I went out there and just to be out there in nature and just knowing that like you, you can't even like, you're like an hour of drive away from cell phone service out there. I mean, it is out there and it is very cool to be out in nature. I totally agree with that. It's healing for uh, a lot of people, like city slickers, like Tao. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off, Genevieve. No, I was just saying I want to go there now. <laughs> it definitely Bates. is good <laughs> to get out in nature and and even be alone in nature is good. But All day, yeah. I see you uh, walking out there with your dog and your cats, strolling through Canada and enjoying I nature. Yeah, I live in the woods, literally. <laughs> See, I think that is is part of probably your healing and a lot of people's healing is just getting outside. Uh, it's a moving the wonderland right now. Yeah, circulation and walk. Yeah, nature is so healing. I know when I need to be recharged, I just go and throw my back up against a tree that's calling out, and I swear that works. It's an old indigenous. Go get your energy from a good old tree. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, Jack, did you want to talk about that report uh, that I had spoken about earlier? Do you think that would be a good topic not to put you on? Uh, I mean, I guess it's a question to everyone on the panel. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so are you interested? About that. that was very interesting, Matthew. I only got caught like the very beginning, but yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah, why not? Um, a small little thing here. I think I have enabled you the ability to share the screen. Good. Here we go. Yes. So, so right. So this is a report uh, I talked about on my Instagram yesterday, and a lot of people had a lot of cool comments about it and interesting perspectives. And it's not the first time this has come up. Uh, admittedly, I've talked about it. Many people have talked about it. Anytime I've mentioned somocloma variation, uh, you know, in a pithy rupus day, then that is 
what I was talking about here. Um, this is a paper called uh, Accumulation of Somatic Mutations Leads to Genetic Mosaicism in Cannabis. And uh, these two, these, actually there's three people um, you know, from the University of Guelph or Guelph, Guelph like self. Guelph, Guelph. Like self. And now it's Guelph. Guelph. Is, it so Guelph? is Christian, hold on, let me just show you something. Is Christian the one that's not listed at the top of the page? I know, it is the case. That's because Funny how that works. probably a, a dissertation candidate, a PhD candidate, and the other two were published professors. So the oh, other two are sub-authors, the, but the main author is probably the Christian person. And these other two people are like on a committee and they're putting their name on the paper to get credit for it for their publication. <laughs> but that's often the case when the lead author is somebody that's not listed up at the top there. I bet. I really appreciate that was very enriching to hear because um, honestly, I, 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 I was, when I was putting, when I was talking about this, I made sure to talk about all three of them because I wanted to make sure they all got that credit. And I thought yeah. it was really unfortunate that it wasn't showing up um, with their profile. But I guess that would yeah, make sense. Yeah, so that, that grad student just probably doesn't have any other citations to put there. Like that's listing 62 citations and some 77 mm -hmm. publications or whatever. Um, the lead author on this. And that's usually what happens. I mean, the reason those other two probably have 62 and 77 is because they put their names as, as co-authors on a lot of the grad students' published works. And isn't the last name usually the P.I.? No, it would be the first name. I'm sorry, the first one. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yes, Jeez. exactly. <laughs> yeah, the principal investigator would, would and the, the, well, I mean, it depends. If this is, it the, depends. Places are different, right? And it depends on whether this is just the primary research product for that research report. It's the lead author would put their name there. Usually the lead author is the PI, but sometimes other researchers or other people involved in a project will be lead author on their own sub papers. I see. Um, but yeah, so, so basically this report talks about something that a lot of people have reported observing, and that is the idea that um, when you take cuttings from plants, uh, those cuttings change. And I'll be talking about this on the Future Canvas Project on December at 7 p.m. PST on Wednesday, December 1st. So here's a, here's a picture. Uh, this was um, a honey banana cultivar, apparently. And so they took a cutting from 59 centimeters, 151 centimeters, and 226 centimeters from, my understanding is the soil. Um, yes. And they, and they did next generation sequencing on the genome of these different uh, cuttings. And what they found was that uh, bottom had the least changes uh, and middle and top had the most changes, which was really interesting. So there's this big diversion in like replication mutations um, from the cuttings as they grew. And uh, so basically the implications of this is that um, if you have these changes and, and they affect things that really matter to you, not just like basic meta metabolic processes, but literally like cannabinoid pathways and terpene synthesis pathways, yep then of course this is gonna have great ramifications for legacy cuts that people have that have, they've had them for like 10, 15, 20 years. Um, this is, yeah, and they make a the clone only varieties that people think are passing around that think are exact copies of the original. I mean, I've run into this. I ran three clones of GG4 that two of the plants were not the same as the other plant. Um, and they were supposed to all be clones of the same mother, right? So yeah. You, you, 
I think this blows a hole through a lot of that argument. All right. And, and, you know, it's like, uh, it's old hat. Like a lot of people understand that um, this is kind of how aging works and then other sort of botanical and agricultural, um, uh, you know, uh, fields, like this is an understood premise, right? Like that uh, you might take a cutting from multiple plants, but they aren't all going to develop the exact same. Not only that, but like, We've called of this course. genetic drift, though. I mean, people in yes, Canada have said genetic drift, genetic drift, genetic drift, and they're not using the right terminology. That's right. But they they have identified that this has been happening for decades. Because I know people yeah. have said, oh, Chem 91, it's not like it was back in the 90s, you know? And right. Probably this is what not, they're referring right? to. Yeah, and, and, um, and you're absolutely right. I wanted to go into that a little bit. So genetic drift, what is it? What is it not? And um, oh, Is this epigenetic or genetic? Yeah. Go for it. That's actually a really, that's a really great point there, right? Is that uh, expression can be plastic, right? And, and um, based on a bunch of different contexts that are kind of, that weren't even necessarily talked about in this study. And, and the authors say this multiple times, um, but so genetic drift is like a population level, exactly. like, as I understand it, germline, you know, mutational change, like with allele frequency and that sort of a thing. But here, exactly, it's from population genetics. So exactly, uh, uh, it has to do with like the founder effect that you know a certain group of organisms arrive on an island or something, and they just don't happen to have the genes for one thing or the other, or they have a a large representation of one gene or another, and it's not necessarily for any specific selection reason. Um, that's one way the genetic drift is just a change in the frequency of alleles in a population through time. And it doesn't, it's not something that we would observe in an individual. So that's why I always thought that genetic drift isn't the right word for these changes that occur within a plant. hundred percent. Right. And, and so what, yeah, what we're seeing is like replication errors, essentially. Right. It's like, it's like if it was, if it was software code and there were little errors and more, more errors you get more errors and cumulatively this changes and then that, that multiplies and especially they found differences in very gene rich parts of the various chromosomes and so here like this table just says it very flatly uh you know I, i'm being very uh long-winded but like for example uh the polyketide pathway the cannabinoid pathway the meth pathway the monoterpene pathway right mev sesquiterpene so these are all genes, right? They are the, or, or processes. These are genes related to those processes. These are massively important. We've talked about it on the study here, the olivatol synthase, olivatolic acid cyclase, right? These are important for the very beginning and end and other, for some of these other pathways, processes in the synthesis of cannabinoids and terpenes, if they don't happen, and just to give you some context, over here it says gene, you know, pi to the power of, uh, of B, uh, anything higher than two, the authors were saying, was kind of a significant change, right? And here we have like eight, <laughs> uh, you know, and I forget the exact value off the top of my head, uh, but it's, like, it's basically a, um, it was a ratio of something to something else, but I'm, I'm blanking on that topic. But anything higher than two in this column is, is pretty significant. And you can say some of these are pretty significantly affected. Um, uh, the C, you know, CBGAS, right? TCAS, like these are breakdowns or changes in the pathway of these processes. So obviously 
that's going to have some great implications for what people do with clone only is like you were saying legacy cuts and also how people want to store their plants. They, they talk about later in the, in the paper that um, uh, cryopreservation is, is um, recommended, but nobody's got the uh, resources for that. Most people don't anyways. Um, so it could be that your cuts are really as ephemeral as you think, as special as perhaps you maybe even didn't realize. It's almost like um, popping a, a seed <laughs> at a certain yes. extent, you know, <laughs> like it, it could have as much variation from a seed line to a clone line if if this is uh, suggesting that there's as much change as, as we're seeing. But uh, it, weirdly enough, it seems even with this information, like you'll go over to Mitten Canico and uh, Spartan's about to jump out here. So I want to kind of transition mm -hmm. it to giving him a chance to jump in. But if you walk through, um, and I'll give Spartan a chance to, I guess, give us feedback on this. But when you walk through those rooms where you've been running the same clones, for what it feels like now a few years, have you noticed a bunch of change or is it pretty consistent with uh, how it started when you guys uh, got booted up with your oldest varieties? Yeah, we've um, probably two years now and really the, we are cycling through so many cultivars still trying to find our keepers, I guess. But uh, there are some that we've had from the beginning, like Hans Solberger, Mac Flurry was pretty early on and they're pretty much the same. I don't think they've changed a whole lot at all, honestly, but it's only two years. Is that really a long time? Well, this seems like on the same day, they're taking one from the bottom of the plant versus the top of the plant, and they're saying the genetics are oh. changing. And yeah, uh, you know, it could be no, so we slight. Pretty, no, we still see it being very uniform, I think, throughout the see, because we're cut, we're taking off usually one mom, sometimes two at the most, and we're taking 160. No, we're taking more, we're taking about 200 cuts. We keep 160 once we plant them into a media and then we narrow down to 150 before we go into flower and that's pretty uniform at that point i don't see anything crazy things you know sticking out from the group they're all still pretty uniform i do have one question to kind of leave you guys with though i mean if you want you know i have to talk about it but i wonder if those changes can be reversed at all with like a tissue culture or are you pretty locked into that afterwards a good question can the phenotype be rescued yeah that, that's, you have to that's go back to the original stock that had the correct genetics to i would think right, yeah. the, you yeah. wouldn't be able to Couldn't. unwind the random mutations that had sort of accumulated there's definitely right. some reasons that some strains would be more resistant to sort of breaking down, I would say. Uh, it depends on sort of the, the mix of dominance and the important genes that you're tracking um, and whether the deleterious mutations become dominant and expressive. Um, one of the, the big problems with asexual reproduction just across all of biology is that you accumulate deleterious traits and there's no way to weed them out there there's no recombination it's it's recombining your genes with another organism and doing that so sort of like half a mine and half a years sense. that essentially weeds out the the deleterious mutations that build up through time so eventually this is what happens with asexual reproduction and it's one of the leading hypotheses about why sex developed in the first place in biology like why you wouldn't just create copies of yourself instead of like 
finding a partner which dilutes yourself by half into the next generation. It's like a huge sacrifice in terms of genetics, in terms of the replicators. And the benefit of, of agreeing to like get cut in half is that you recombine genes and you weed out deleterious recessives usually, but any deleterious trait. Right. That's a really yeah. succinct way to put it. All right, well, I'm going to leave you guys. I got to get going, but uh, thanks for having me. As always, I love talking with you guys. And this was a really good episode. I liked it a lot. Um, shout out to chat. It's always, always. And, you know, there was probably about four or five people helping us out in chat saying, remember to hit that thumbs up. Remember to hit that subscribe. So I appreciate, appreciate everybody that's helping us out in chat. Appreciate all of our followers. And I hope you all have a good day. I'm headed over to the Michigan Grows, Michigan Bros Grow Show. Hey, I'm excited. I want to announce, uh, I don't know if, if this audience has heard it or not, but we announced that on our last show that we got Ed Rosenthal uh, as an interview coming up uh, a week from today. So uh, we're excited about that. So catch us next week for the, for his show. But uh, fuck the MCMA and cheers. Cheers, guys. Hope you have a good day. <laughs> cheers, Spartan. Thank you, as always, for joining us. You can find him at Spartan Grown and email him at spartangrown at gmail.com if you're trying to contact him. You can also find his commercial work at Mitten Canico. They do some really uh, awesome stuff over there. We talked about it a little bit tonight as a reference for even this very paper that we're looking at right now that I'm going to pass it back over to Matthew to uh, give us some more info. And uh, maybe we could wrap up with this and uh, go into all of our final thoughts and shout outs. Matthew, yeah, you know, what oh, yeah. was really interesting was that everybody says you should take your clones from the tops, you know, and according to this paper, that's where the most uh, differentiating <laughs> things happen, correct? Wait, I've always it's, said take them from the bottom. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I'm not one of those people think, that always said take them from the top. I know I a lot of take them from the bottom people. But wrong on the internet, I can't be. <laughs> no, Doc has said that for a long time. I believe he said because yeah. they're woodier. And I know a lot of people that it, you don't really it's, hear too many people fighting for the middle. It's either like take them from the top, newest, fresh. I agree with you. Yeah, my argument for the bottom is lumbery. about carbohydrate load. It, it's that the, ah. the older growth has a, has a better carbohydrate load and it can, it can support root growth better than newer growth can. But um, the fact that it lines up well with this genetic stuff is, is very convenient for me. I agree. And I also thought it was. <laughs> They're also a lot harder. I feel like like they're they're more hardened off. It tends to be the case. Um, That's my people, experience too. Yeah. I agree with Dr. Coco as well. I am just gonna say I like the bottom ones better. Isn't it funny when you're conveniently right though? Like with the drought stressing <laughs> thing, yes. I had no yes. idea. And then you're like, wait, Jack, there's actually study out of Guelph that supports what you're saying. And I was like, oh, awesome. Like send that my way, you know. But I don't want to be too so uh, only find the stuff that agrees with you. Top only. That's one of those, like, I knew I was right moments. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good yes. to be right sometimes. We, we can all admit it. And the pat on the back, uh, the bottom clones are genetically less diverse and uh, maybe also have more woody uh, substance and, and less carbohydrates is uh, something that I just was reminded of from Dr. MJ to make it. Root so, they so apparently it's a nucleotide diversity. That's what the pie does uh, sort of denotes. And uh, like they were saying here, the top sample had the most unique high impact mutations with 1,234 or 40%, uh, next to the bottom with 247 or 12%, and lastly, the middle with 63 or 6%. So that, they're, that in case people want the sound bite, right, this is um, what they're talking about. And over here, they said there were high-impact mutations divided into four categories, uh, frame shift, premature stop codon, splice site, and stop loss mutations. Um, and yeah, I want to just go back and sort of revisit this right here. These are some uh, terpene synthase genes. Uh, 
for limonene, beta myrcene, beta myrcene alpha pinene, uh, uh, epsilon beta osamine synthase, right? Beta myrcene. And these are all higher than two here. So that, di that, that, nu that nucleotide diversity, um, you know, is higher. It, it, means it was exceeding that sort of uh, uh, limiter. Well, if it was a stop codon, that, if I understand that correctly, that could mean it's going to like, basically, if it continues to act in a negative way, it'll eventually shut off that genetic. So it'll become like a passive carry genetic that's not going to express itself. And in which case, this could, could mean it's not going to produce that terpene, uh, depending on that clone. Or I could be overextending my limited. A bunch uh, of things like thing. that can happen. Oh, well, actually, it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't even know all of the things. That could happen, but I. But yeah, if you if you start messing with the top with the start and stop codons, uh, really quickly you start to have major problems in the replication of genes. I definitely agree with you. Um, that was the one that shot out to me because I, even at my limited level of understanding, um, compared to someone who works with this professionally all the time, I knew that that was a big deal. Um, but again, I just want to be clear that like, and other people in the comments when I posted and when I talked about this on video. Uh, we're quick to point this out, which is very fair, which is that this is just, this is pioneering work. The authors said so much themselves. Um, it's unclear how uh, generalized this response is, although there's precedent for it being this way. And they, and they make a pretty good case about it in the report, uh, kind of mentioning how plants and mammals, things that grow and live longer tend to have less of this problem. There seems to be some sort of a suppressing factor perhaps multiple factors and things that live for short periods of time tend to be more sensitive to this kind of a thing yeah and so like proofreading things that, that make sure that the copies are are better made um, that's the process i most think of but i i wasn't sure if there were other um yeah and you know i i'd want to go through a little bit deeper in this but the fact that there are these mutations doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing anything um, so like inserting yeah, a stop code on, yeah. inserting a stop code on where there wasn't one before, that's a mutation that could be a significant mutation. It could kill the plant. Um, it could also do absolutely nothing. So I, I, I'm tempted to think that what they're saying is that this is sort of the, the probabilities that actually problematic mutations could occur, not that all of these mutations that are occurring are problematic. Um, but I'd have to get deeper into that. I think it's a volume thing. Like if there's yeah. a higher number of it, there's just a higher likelihood. If you, if you gamble a thousand times, you know, you're likely going to lose money versus right. you only gamble one right. time. Yeah, exactly. And so if they're finding there's like eight random changes in this part and there's only two random changes in the other part, well, you'd rather be in the part that only had two random changes, but none of those random changes might do a damn thing. They might all be totally benign it's when you finally get a random change that really can screw something up or that turns off an important gene. A stop codon tells the, the, the RNA basically to stop reading that gene at that point. Um, so it could cut something in half and you wouldn't get something that was very important. Otherwise it could just be in a non-coding region of the DNA or something and not, not really mean much at all. So just like I, last week, we've got a garden to check out. So I want to give Matthew okay. a chance to wrap up and then we're going to spotlight Noah before we do our shout outs. I'm, I'm going yeah, to run a few minutes long this week, uh, not to disrespect the Michigan Bros Grow Show, but to give a nod to uh, Noah and we're going to check out his garden here in just a second. Absolutely. So let me wrap up. 
what you say is correct. And the sound bites from these people are also incongruent. So they say that, uh, you know, they're very careful. They say the nuclear diversity above, above average and as a result could, could indicate initial signs of decay in the cannabinoid pathway, for example. And you're totally right. It could be benign. And they did note that a lot of these changes happened in really gene-rich gene parts of the um, chromosome, the, the euchromatin. So it kind of makes me more dubious about it, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, no. More research is needed for sure to see to what extent. And certainly people were saying that their plants were still okay after this time. So it's not like it's necessarily always going to be so bad. Yeah, and, now, and I guess the point I was pushing back on there a little bit was just the impression, like looking at those raw numbers, you would think I'm going to take a clone. It's going to be radically different than the mother because of all yes. these changes. That <laughs> I mean, See, and that's what, not, what I think is this is technology yeah. seeing it before the human eye. This is like uh -huh. just like when we're testing something uh, where you can see it under different vision or whatever. I think this yeah. is technology showing you whether it's one month, a year, two years, five years, whatever it is. It's just detecting something that's going to happen down the road or, or not happen at all. Like you're saying, it depends on the specific uh, gene line and everything like I that. So. We're watching the painter paint before, we're, before the painter is done showing us the picture. I love that they use cannabis growers, personal communication 2020 as a reference. Well, for the anecdote, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Sometimes though, right? you have to do that. What is the quote? Um, right. There's only so much with the uh, background, that's... and it's probably talking about they're, they're noticing a difference in their clone or something. It's yeah. literally, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. It was people saying, yo, and they even say it earlier that. <laughs> that's what I said, yeah. They called it, uh, yeah. I had well, a clone that's not, no, as good as the mother, and yeah. what's going on, yeah. Yeah, well, no, cool that's research. ethnographic research. I don't have a problem quoting anonymous cannabis growers from personal communications. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, Matthew, is there anything else that you'd like to include before we give uh, Noah the floor? Absolutely not. Let's talk to Noah. Oh, right. don't worry about don't worry about me, guys. I'm I'm listening very very intently right now. So, oh okay. Have, okay. Oh no no no. Don't. Uh, you, we can always go to my garden. I'm going to be growing. There'll be plants in my room. That, but my last day on this planet, man. I love this stuff. I'm a nerd for, I'm a nerd for it. So I, I, shout out to Shane for introducing me to all you guys and bringing me here and starting this because, uh, man, I, I, I have so much fun. I learned so much from all you guys. And uh, yeah, no, no, I was listening very intently, very intently. I appreciate it. I really liked the commentary with, uh, no, no. with Dr. MJ. And uh, I'm glad we got to talk about it a little bit. But I am curious. That's why I didn't say anything. I was very uh, attentive. Yeah, so uh, this this overflow plant right here, this it, these plants didn't stack as well as they normally do, but with my old system. But I mean, they are pretty. They're these are pretty big buds. This is a gallon of water right here, and uh, that ain't bad at all, Noah. For no, most people, no, no. most people watching are pretty uh, damn happy if they. When ever you end use up a gallon system. of water as yeah. your scale object, you're doing something right. Just it's right a off crude the bat, scale, okay? but very effective. <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, no, I've been doing this for a long time and, uh, I learned so much from all you guys that, uh, it's, 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 it's showing in here and, uh, just wait, you know, I'm only 42. I'm going to be doing this for the next 25, 30 years. So, uh, I dig it. This one right here, it doesn't look as crazy as some of this other stuff, but this is Sunday driver. And this plant right here is so crazily like, I, I swear it's gotta be in the thirties THC wise. I mean, it really does. Um, I'm going to take some pictures and post them on my Instagram. This is the overflow plant. I'm going to let it go a little weak. So that's going to be interesting. I have to take this one down, this one down tomorrow. 
and then all this i have to trim this all tomorrow and uh so it's uh this gonna be a lot of fun but uh yeah and then these are a couple dosi does uh if you see i put these in sevens these are all in sevens i put these in fives so they're not quite getting enough soil so i'm having to supplement quite a bit with uh i'm using biobiz all organic stuff but uh and then this one this apple fritter right here man this is pretty big for only being five weeks this is uh this is tropicana punch right here tropic uh, tropicana cookies cross purple punch and that one is like so dark it's like black but uh yeah no uh i just i just wanted to show everybody and um but no, I, I'll never take away from any type of uh, science when it comes to growing for my grow room. We can go to my grow room anytime, anytime. This isn't taken away. This is called adding to the content. This is uh, a, oh, a wonderful addition. Well, you know, and uh, man, I'm lucky, man. You know, there's a lot of guys that can't, uh, that don't have a grow room like this. And um, they're just the access to be able to do this. And, um, uh, you know, this is only, this is only 10 plants right here. So I, and this is five, these are 5,000 watt lights right here. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm very lucky to, to be able to do it health wise. And, uh, I enjoy it so much and, um, yeah, no, I, that's, that's all I got to say, really. I just wanted to show you guys and, um, yeah, no, I was totally interesting, uh, in what, when, uh, what you guys are just saying and about the cloning and stuff, that is a really, really cool. And I'm a nerd for all this stuff. So I'll just say I'm glad that you're healthy. I remember you were scooting around there for a little while and needing people to assist oh, you. Sure. And uh, it's, it's always happy uh, to see you healthy and moving around. I'm sure the plants are happy to have you as your uh, normal caregiver and uh, oh, looking sure. over them. They look very happy. And I know they might not be as big as uh, you once had in your old system, but I'm sure you're going to get there eventually. So yeah, I want to give you the uh, chance. These are to all your... organic. These are all organic. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm no other grower. I'll take some pictures of uh, this overflow and this uh, sherbet right here, and um, post it to my Instagram today or tomorrow. And um, you can find all my content there. And yeah, anybody has any questions about what I got going on, I'm more than willing to help. And uh, I'm right now. I'm doing the the organics but i'm going to be doing uh cocoa next and i'm sure i'll be going to cocoa for cannabis because that would be the guy that i talked to and um yeah i appreciate it and i'll uh, see you guys all next week man can't wait to see you next week i, I want to come visit you whenever the uh, sunday driver is done because i love both the parents it's fruity pebbles og across the great pie uh two strains that i love very dearly uh, fruity pebbles og is one of my favorites and it's really hard to find and uh the cross itself sunday driver that i've had has been okay to pretty good but i'm sure uh, yours is going to be much better than the stuff that i'm finding in the market around here so i'd love to try that sometime noah and uh with that said thank you so much for showing off the garden this week it's cool to see the update and i'm sure we're going to see more uh progression as it goes forward so thank you again so much for that next thank up dr you. mj hey yeah i didn't get to say hello at the beginning of the episode i realized like about 20 minutes and i'm like hey did i ever say anything so i'll get to say hello to everybody now i'm dr mj coco from cocoforcannabis.com um, I'm going to be doing a new podcast this week. I'm going on the green table podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Check it out. And, uh, we're, yeah, I'm doing another big, I did a, yesterday we did a premiere on my YouTube channel. Went really well. Gave away a Viper Spectre XS 4000. Um, and next week I'm got a, the biggest light from Mars Hydra, the FC 8,000. I'm running the final tests on it tomorrow and that video will be out. I'll be doing another premiere giveaway. So look for that. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving and grower love to everybody out there.
sorry for not giving you the introduction. I definitely got a little uh, sidetracked there with uh, having Miss Nudie Grows in here for uh, yeah. first time in a long yeah, time. Yeah, no, it was cool. Also, the American one jumped in as we were yeah, doing sorry, the introduction, so it moved all my people around on the screen. So I tried to like bounce around in a certain order. So I lost you on the track of things, but I wanted oh, to say I, I really didn't, I didn't feel slighted at all, Jack, and I was excited to to hear from Miss Nudie as well. So no worries at all. I just want to say I watched the um, Grow Light review, and I thought it was cool that you. I think it was like a certain number of diodes or something was the number that you get. Uh, people had to guess. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, so people cool. that are loyal have figured that out. I try to pick some number from the from something about the light, from the the stats about the light or the performance or the price or the model or whatever. So with that one I did, the winning number is 301, and it was for the LM301B diodes that were on that fixture. So um, it's a little bit of inside knowledge for like loyal users, maybe have a bit of an advantage to potentially one or win. So it was a cool hand. nod for sure to the, the light and just the little details like that. I, I certainly appreciate as a viewer of the content. So uh, hats off to you for that and keep on making that great content at Coker for Cannabis and on the YouTube. So uh, thank you again for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you next week and checking out Absolutely. all the other content. Grow our love, buddy. And next up we've got Matthew Gates. Yeah. I also realized like eight minutes in, I'm like, I, I don't think Dr. MJ Coco said anything. That was weird. Maybe I just missed it somehow. But uh, now that is solved that mystery. So if you're interested in uh, more integrated pest management information, you know, I work professionally in the industry. Um, I'm here to help people out at all scales and all levels because I'm very passionate about it. You can ask many of my followers who have, you know, plied me with many questions on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on uh, my YouTube channel is Zenthanol, also on my Twitter at Sync Angel and at Sync Angel on Instagram. So I'm very interested in working with people uh, because I think IPM is very important. Client health is very important and knowing all the intricacies is going to very much help you out. So you can find my content in those spaces. Uh, I also have an article coming out from Skunk Magazine, uh, an issue about um, how to how to assess expertise and how to understand um, how to analyze things that you don't understand, essentially. Because uh, in this world, in this day and age, it can be very hard to see who's right, who's wrong. And there are many factors that um, compete and sometimes they are not, uh, you know, working in your favor. So, and you're not always, you don't always have 100% of the information. So that article will be coming out soon. And uh, shout out to everyone in the chat. I really enjoyed the engagement and I'm glad we got to talk more science. I think people are really liking the reports. Maybe we should do more of that. I certainly look forward to doing uh, some more of that in the future. Also want to do more chat, chat engagement in the future. I know this week we were just so uh, engaged in our own conversation that we didn't get to talk to the chat. And uh, Miss Nudie might not know this, but we even brought some people up from the chat over these past few weeks and brought them onto the show live, which was uh, pretty cool to do with some of like the loyal listeners. We'd see whoever would jump in. If it was somebody we'd recognize, we'd bring them on up. So that was a fun little thing to do. And I guess I'll pass it to you. Uh, Miss Nudie grows the... As I'll always know you, Miss Nudie Grows. I know you've got many names, Genevieve Sweet on YouTube and all that good stuff, but you're the Canada boss mama from Canada up there that I, I always will remember as the home grower who helps out other home growers. Coaching, I think is what you used to call it, but uh, much respect and thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jack. I am still a grow coach. <laughs> I will still do that always and forever. Um, 
I just do professional things now as well, but I always have time for my, for my grow people and I'm still available in the DMS. People know that about me and hit me up daily. And I appreciate it. I love talking about weed. (laughs) Um, People are respectful of my time and they appreciate sometimes it takes me three days to get back to them. Um, But it is what it is. So I'm just glad that I got to come out. It's kind of late night for me now that I live in the future over here on the East coast. Um, I'm uh, super glad that I got to hang out with everyone. I have shout outs for all of you. I respect you guys badly and love you madly. And I want y'all to say hi to those that I miss. Brandon, miss seeing him. And uh, I will catch you guys all on Instagram. You can find me at Miss Nudie Grows. I am actually, before I leave, I didn't even mention this, but I am being flown out to Niagara Falls tomorrow as a VIP uh, speaker at the Grow Up Conference here in Canada. Um, So (laughs) I went from like wanting to attend this as an attendee four years ago, as Jack was saying, like just in my little craft room growing weed to being sought out and going into one like all the top growers in Canada were invited to a luncheon that I'm going to be on a panel of and speak at and we're going to talk about the everything to do with growing and the culture and cannabis the industry regulations I'm super excited so if anyone's watching and they're going to Niagara for grow up I'm going to be there and there's a whole psychedelic segment this year summit um, mushrooms I'm super pumped so I'm heading there for the week And the other shout out, I guess, is Stuart Farms. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you, Miss Nudie. It was was really a pleasure having you uh, back on. You're always welcome whenever you have the time. And I really, it's so awesome to see how far you've come from, you know, like you said, wanting to go visit to being flown out. It just shows the people in the chat, keep on, you know, doing what you love at home first. I mean, if you have a job or whatever and you've got your home grow, just uh, commit as much time and passion as you can to it and do the best you can there. And that will translate to greater things. If you want to go into working in the you know, cannabis industry, that experience is very real and uh, it translates and it, you just got to, you know, find your position, what you like and what you don't like doing. And um, mm-hmm. I think that Miss Nudie is just one of many examples uh, that has shown that, you know, it's possible to come from the home growing level to, you know, uh, being a commercial cultivator and being able to get flown out to, you know, events that you want to visit. And that's just something very awesome. So with that, that said, I want to give it over to last and certainly not least the American one. Jack, again, thanks for hosting. It was awesome tonight. Um, I love what everybody brings to the table. And uh, it was great seeing Miss Nudie Grows and learning about her uh, adventures in the cannabis industry. And Matthew always brings great science to the table and seeks out stuff that i would never know about or hear about which is always awesome and everyone in chat is awesome i wish i was in there a little bit more but yeah thanks everyone and uh peace out thank you so much the american one always a pleasure having you i've been enjoying the amy aces quite a lot uh recently and miss nudie was talking about smell proof or scent proof uh things in the mail over in canada and i was like "Hmm, we have that in the u.s just not quite legally yet and uh, i won't get too much deeper into detail about that. But uh, thank you, as always, to the American one for joining us and for bringing I'm glad you enjoyed awesome it. Stuff. And yeah, I should mention if anybody's interested in Amy Aces or anything else they see that I made on my uh, Instagram, just hit me up and uh, I'll take care of you. He's very generous with his uh, seeds. Everybody that I've uh, known who's gotten seeds from Tao has been very happy and uh, 
has gotten very uh, gracious loads of seats. So Ty, you're a great dude. We really appreciate having you. And I guess I'm technically last, uh, your host, Jack Greenstock, like you see behind me here on my little logo on Instagram. And I'm also Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. You can email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. And my book, 50 Strains of Green, is available at 50strains.com if you want a copy of that. Um, so thank you to everybody who listened. I had such a great time. I totally didn't get to see the chat at all. I'm going to have to watch it back because I was just enjoying the conversation and the papers. We went through a few different ones uh, that I really wasn't even expecting uh, some of the science that we covered today to get covered, but we got through it and I think it was a great conversation. So thank you to everybody who listened in. Uh, this is Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love, y'all. Grow a love, everyone.